Bone Tomahawk. Now it is. Bone Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to I Like to Movie Movie. My name is Dan Scully. My name is Garrett Smith. And we're wishing you a happy uh, Women in Horror Month. Indeed we are. And this is also Black History Month. Sure is. So this is tying into the release of a movie I have not seen yet. I just got to see is, it the uh, other night. You saw it the other night. Tell yeah. us tell us about your experience. Uh, horror Noir, a Black History. Uh, it is... Uh, you know what? Let me get up people's names because everybody involved deserves to have their name yes. uh, shouted out here. And I'll but, fill it with this. It's a Philly-produced movie. Movie. Yep. Um, it is in conjunction with both Fango and Shudder. Yep. Um, so it, it's actually kind of cool. Currently on Shudder. Currently on Shudder. Yeah. So hopefully I'll be able to watch it this weekend. Yeah. But in this new world where people are starting to reassess horror, yes. um, seemingly as as edged on by Get Out, yep. uh, it's pretty cool that there's now a thorough documentary just about the effect and the history of horror and how it, it you know on and how it integrates with the black community. Yeah, it's uh and it is fantastic. Like I I really really liked it. it. I am not that much of a documentary guy. I feel like people are obsessed with documentaries these days and I don't watch That's that me. many. Yeah. Uh and I I just loved it. I thought it was like very informative but also like very entertaining and so I just people should see it. It feels like like necessary homework if you're like a mm. horror fan. And even if you're just into like movie history, it's like it, it gets into a lot of like very interesting, I think, kind of like necessary history about just like black faces on the screen, mm. like in general, you know? I mean, and this is me making an assumption because yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but in anything that I've ever read about black horror, because like it, it, it's kind of funny how, how black culture is the progenitor of like all of white culture. Black <laughs> horror has been around, you know, at least in terms of like modern horror sensibilities, has been around a lot longer than the uh you know 80s and post grindhouse world that came yeah. out of it there's stuff that predates that mm -hmm. you know we could go into universal monsters and all that but even that has yeah. ties into it oh they do they go but, they go way back they oh, good, they good. start with um uh, birth of a nation oh beautiful which as, and that's my second point yeah. is that when we think about horror and what yeah. is horrifying and physical trauma and all that that takes a different lens for different consumers yeah and you know just being a, a black person in america that's going to take a different shape exactly yeah and horror being being, you know, employed as a morality play or, uh, you know, in the case of like a Romero mm -hmm. film as a social commentary, mm -hmm. Get Out as a social commentary. Mm -hmm. um, it's so cool that this is a window that can open up this idea at a time that people are starting to realize that horror being smart is far from a new concept. <laughs> right, yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, I'm, I'm super amped. It's and, awesome. And what a time to be a fan. It was directed by Xavier Bergen, I think is his name, Bergen Bergen, uh, but it was written by um, Ashley Blackwell, Daniel Burroughs, and it's based on a book by Robin R. Means Coleman. Uh, Robin is in the movie. Ashley is in the movie. Um, it was produced by Ashley, Danielle, Robin, another woman that's in the movie, and I apologize, I might not get her name right here, um, Tananariv Du, Tananariv Du, I think is her name. Uh, Kelly Ryan, who's local to Philly, produced it, and Phil Nobile Jr., who we've had on the show, is one of the producers of the movie. Uh, and so I went to see a screening of it here uh, that Exhumed Films put on. That Isn't it crazy that Fangoria, yeah. uh, Shudder, yep. and Exhumed have all like created this? They put a show on in our city. That's so fucking it was cool. Awesome. 
Uh, and Phil was there, so I got to meet him face to face, which was very nice. cool. I, I made sure to uh, be very awkward in front of Phil, which was it. great. Uh, but he was such a nice guy when we interviewed him. I imagine that he was probably he, he geeking was, out as well. He was the nicest guy. Mm. He, um, but so uh, he was there. Uh, Ashley Blackwell was there. Uh, Kelly Ryan was there, and um, uh, Daniel Burroughs was there. Mm. So like Phil kind of hosted sort of like a Q and A with them, and they talked about like the making of the movie and stuff. Like everybody turned it down. They pitched it like three years ago, and even oh, yeah, Netflix yeah, yeah. was like, "Nah, we don't want." that and then when get out was like a huge success shutter was like we might want that thing that the you shutter pitched is us. smart yeah shutter's doing they're hitting it at all fronts yeah they're like yeah i can't believe how lucky we are yeah <laughs> like, i know it's so good by the way shutter just released the best new movie i've seen this year this is the best new movie I've seen oh, this year. Right Horror Noir is the best movie I've seen nice, this year nice. so far. And well, I, and know, I've not did, seen a lot, know, but... I, you know, they did Revenge. That was an yeah. exclusive last year. Yep. Um, actually, right now I'm working my way through, I think it's called something, The Narrow Caves. Oh, and right, the podcast. It's a podcast, but it's written by S. Craig Zoller. Hell yeah. And it's great so far. I mean, a bone tomahawk. It's very... A bone tomahawk. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's very cool that they're trying to hit it, hit every front and yeah. nailing it and doing it in a way that speaks to the gimmickry of what it is to be a horror fan yeah but also doesn't pander to the idea that it's somehow lesser yeah uh, even more so saying like even the worst horror movie uh has value because of its contribution to this this movement and yeah. it, it i think more so than any other you know outside of just like star wars mm-hmm. the idea of horror fandom being a movement i think is is universal and has always been yeah yeah it always seems to have been fighting an uphill battle to be considered high art yeah and now like the battle's won yeah so it's it's just wild and there's no fandom in the world greater and more loving and supportive than horror I've yeah found. it really isn't and it's just uh yeah i, I can't recommend the documentary enough nice. it's it is just so entertaining and like so informative there's like a lot of really like uh, they get they get an interview with Jordan Peele, so there's like a nice, nice like Jordan Peele segment, and not to put he's like, like the hero right now, right? I know that Twilight Zone commercial, at yeah. the Super Bowl, yeah, oh, my yeah. own. That, apparently, that was something Phil said after the Q and A. Basically, they had like had the movie made, and Shutter was like, "Okay, great, so." Before we can say it's done and made, you need to interview Jordan Peele. Like, but like with no help on how they could yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah. You know, they had to like I'm sure figure he was out. More than happy to how, do it. They did. They eventually like got it to work out and stuff. And it's a great interview. And not to like put too many spoils on it, but he says something that it's like I like learned so much in this documentary where it's like you and I had like the best longest conversation about Get Out, where I was like we peeled every layer of that onion. Oh, yeah. Like it would you know. What? Peeled every layer of that onion. We did what? Jordan onion? peeled every <laughs> okay, layer of that onion. Sure. Uh, I want that to go yeah, by. Unnoticed. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, I eventually heard it. I had to <laughs> say it a few times and heard it. Uh, they like uh, he says something to the effect of like there are no good white people in this movie. There's yeah. no white savior in this movie. Which yeah, that's true. And I like thought about it and I was like, it. Not only did I not realize that about this movie that like every white character turns out to be a bad guy. I've never thought about the fact that there is always a white savior, like in every movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it just even in the movie that we're covering tonight, yeah. Candyman. Yep. And and actually, I have some funny trivia about like ownership of the story and all that. Yeah, cool. But even that like needed to be based around um, Virginia Madsen. Yeah. Just because that's what you sell. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's it's so got to be a, a white uh, narrative of sorts. Yes. Right? Yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, yeah. And that actually, that we'll get into that. So, yes, we're talking about Candyman. It's one mm. of the movies that's the subject of the documentary. And I can't wait to talk about it because, A, it fucking, I loved this movie. It totally fucking owns it. Uh, and they have very interesting things to say about it in the documentary that I think are going to be like worth kind of like uh, talking about and trying to unpack a little bit. We'll lead the way because yeah. I haven't seen the doc yet. And I've done some things about it. But before we get yeah. started, please, uh, you guys, share our podcast, like, subscribe. All that fun stuff. I like two movie. We use the numeric two. Sure do. Um, or just look for I like to movie movie without the numeric two right. on iTunes, 
Uh, I almost said Shutter. Um, what's the one? That, the other one? Oh, uh, wait. What do you mean? <laughs> Anywhere you get podcasts. Yeah. That's, what's the other podcast catcher that everyone uses? Oh, I don't even know if we're on it. It sounds Stitcher? like Shutter. Stitcher. That's yeah. it. Stitcher. Yeah. And um, yeah. So just definitely do all that. Like, subscribe, share. We've got a lot of fun stuff coming up, and we, we want do. you to be a part of it. Yes. And so that just uh, yeah, and and we want. Basically, you'll notice this year we've done only horror movies. Yeah. And that is because that seems to be what the people want. It's also part of Garrett's uh, yes. uh, morph from guy who didn't like horror to like horror junkie. Yeah. And so this is a, this is a good time. We're not going to be doing all horror, but the point right. of this is we do listen to you and we are checking the numbers and seeing what you like. But even better than that is yeah. to just tell us what you like and we'll do it. Indeed. We'll have you on to do it with us. Yeah. Oh, we'll give yes. a fuck, son. Don't give a fuck. Yeah. We and you know, we won't it's not like we're uh gonna become a horror podcast. Yeah, I just yeah. am so, it's just so good into it right now. The highest concentration of movie movies yeah. per genre oh, yeah. has to go to horror. Ob- absolutely because it's either you know, you, you have to use movie movie techniques as we describe them in order to scare people. Yeah. Uh comedies and horror, and the reason that they're always linked is because they are the only two genres that actually hinge upon an involuntary reaction from the audience. Yeah. You know, a drama, you don't have to cry for it to be good. But like if you don't laugh at a comedy, well the comedy is fucked up. <laughs> if you are not afraid or freaked or or somehow physically repulsed or moved by a horror movie, then they've fucked up. And so in order to do that, you need to movie movie. Yeah. You absolutely need to movie movie because you need to pull those strings on people. It's I have been like even more so than last year. This year, that's like all I've done. January was like almost exclusively horror movies for me. I saw some like old Universal monster movies for the Hell first yeah. time. Aren't those the best? The best. So much fun. Uh, the Mummy is amazing. Mummy rules. I, that was like the one that I was like, yeah, whatever. The Mummy. I don't really care. And it was amazing. I had no idea it was about a dead dude that just wants to bring his girlfriend back to life. Yep. It's, I oh, was yeah. like, that's what this movie's about? Those movies have like some pretty heady thematic work that yeah. have been buried in a near century's worth of just iconography. Yeah. It's yeah. it's phenomenal. It, I, yeah. So anyway, Wait I just... you get to Bride, man. Oh, I can't wait. James Whale is like... Oh, man, he's just a beast. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that he was like, I'm pretty sure that he was gay. So there are like now there's subtext you can mine oh, out of it. I've okay. never looked at it with that yeah. lens. But yeah, I mean, he's a, just a phenomenal filmmaker. I can't His wait. His depth of field, even with painted backdrops, yeah. is unlike anything I've ever seen. Oh, that's so cool. That's I, a, I, I can't I wait. I constantly compare the way that they use digital backdrops in A Cure for Wellness. Yeah is without a doubt a throwback to specifically James Whale. Oh, interesting. So I, I, yeah, it's very much. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so anyway, I just am like, I'm heavy into horror right now, and I, I am very... Evil Dead VHS yes, Trio indeed. t-shirt right now. I, I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm very happy that we have been able and willing to do so many horror movies over the past few months, but that's not, you know, uh, we'll, we'll watch. I'm happy to keep we'll doing We'll watch them. anything. We'll do whatever. Yeah. I think we have one coming up that's going to be... Uh, we're going to be doing Mysterious Skin. Might yeah. as well announce that yeah, now. Joseph yes. Gordon-Levitt. Um, why am I freaking out and forgetting the uh, director's name? Well, I don't even really this. know anything about this movie. When you and Greg Andy, Araki. Oh, yes. Um, when you and Andy started texting about it and sort of like Andy was kind of like, you know, just like, but like trigger warning. Yeah, I was like, it's pretty hardcore. I've never seen I it. I was before. like, oh, I did not know that about mm. this movie. I, You know, I don't know anything about it. It's like... It's known for a being like a stamp of queer cinema in late '90s, early 2000s. That I sounds forget. right. Um, but it's also known to be like this was the time that everyone's like that little motherfucker from from <laughs> Third, Third Rock, Rock from the yeah. Sun. He's got some chops. Yeah, yeah. It was his butterfly effect, yeah, if yeah, you will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So, but that's when everyone was. I like, know. Ashton Kutcher's pretty good. I know. Shame about that Kabbalah shit, but yeah. you know. 
So it goes. Yeah. But hey, Ashton uh, Kutcher has rescued a lot of people from sex slavery. So oh, that I didn't is know true. That. Yeah, he's a very big proponent of that and has done Whoa. a lot of uh, very fine work. It's like, so, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yes. I was going to make a tasteless joke and decided not to. I'll go for it. No, you know no. it won't hurt me. No, no, no. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I'm not going to record that. Uh, uh, so... <laughs> So yeah, so we're going to talk about Candyman, which is um, to integrate 1992 <laughs> yeah. to integrate into Black History yes. Month and this sudden cultural awareness of black horror being yes. a a force to be reckoned with and yeah. an important thing historically to all of horror, not yes. even just the su- yeah. the subset. And then also later in the episode, we're just going to talk about some of our favorite women in horror yes, as this is Women that. in Horror Month. Yeah, yep. and so that is limit not limited to actors or directors or whatever, no, just, just women in horror. Yep, exactly. So yep. boom, we're going to be, be covering fun. some. Of that yeah candy man well, candy man i am candy so excited okay uh, that okay, voice right, right off the bat that's what i want to talk about the yeah. sound design on it because i got to see this on 35 millimeter mm. um thanks to exhumed films the other night when they when they did the horror noir thing i saw it on an ipad and <laughs> i did it uh, did but it had headphones? really good sound i did headphones yep. Yep. and uh so the sound was good but Holy it's certainly not a room filling shit. Uh, but i could certainly understand the way that they mixed his voice it sounds like it's coming it's from unreal. everywhere at the yeah. same time oh yeah it's so well, crazy it is it is yeah it's and i've like I don't know. I've been watching a lot of fucking spooky movies. I don't think I've ever heard that particular idea for sound design used before. I'm sure it has been, but like I will say that I've it was never... used rather recently, but only in the way that it was like designed, like the shape of it was designed, okay. not the sound, and it was the voice of Venom. Oh, I didn't see that. Uh, yeah, which you should. I mean, yeah. you would love it. It's yeah. not like high. It art, sounds like it's, it's really coming from everywhere. Fun. It's scary. Yeah, when yeah. it booms in and he freaks out. Yeah, it, you feel that too. Because Interesting. It's so room. You can sort of get it in the trailer. Yeah, if yeah, you see yeah. That in the theater, it's big and it's all encompassing. Yeah. Is to suggest that this thing is larger than all of us. Yeah, and I think yeah, that's yeah. the similar function that Definitely. they've done. With Tony oh Todd's yeah, voice. yeah. He, I mean, it's like, and it's like. To, uh, you know, this is based on a Clive Barker story, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, Hellraiser is as well. That's like the closest thing this has tone-wise, I think. Yeah. Um, it's and, gross in a way that that isn't flashy. Yeah. You know, like a lot of horror... It's like grimy. Like, ...is flashy. But yeah, it's grimy. It's yeah. kind of filthy. The yeah. blood is actually gross. Like, yeah. I was I was eating a sandwich when I watched it, Ugh. and I actually stopped eating. Yeah. Because I just... Uh, I had ketchup on my sandwich. This movie's it was legitimately thing. unsettling. Yeah. Like, it's, in a way weird. that... yeah. Very few horror movies anymore are to me. You know what I mean? I was like very sort of put off by this, mm. it, and I mean that as like a compliment to the movie. It's it's it is very uncomfortable to watch for like a variety of reasons at different times, which is pretty cool. I was actually thinking, you know what it kind of looks like? Yeah. Now, granted, this is a little more pastel infused. Yeah. But the whole time I was watching it, I said the way that they shoot this city actually reminds me of Glass. Oh, interesting. Uh, the way that they shoot Philadelphia. Yeah. Now, there's no like like intense purples and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Like they're not going for a comic book thing. Yeah. But it had that same kind of thing where I was like, I could scoop the sweat out of that gutter right now. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. just had that feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. It like um it reminded me a little bit of like a Terry Gilliam yeah. kind of thing. Uh like a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. the way the, Oh, one of the best shot. things about Time Bandits is how fucking gross it is. Yeah. 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 It it had a little bit of that on it. And just the the Philip Glass score is like incredible mm-hmm. and so unique to horror i've never really heard a horror score like interesting that interesting enough philip glass was asked to do this the score he did the score yeah. and you know did all that and then when he saw the final product did not realize what type of movie it was going to be Whoa. and was so offended that it was attached to what he thought was like just like shitty cheesy low class horror yeah that he actually refused to have it released in any f- official capacity Whoa. until 2001 holy you shit you couldn't buy that score until 
18 years ago. That's great, because it's yeah. great. It took a decade for him. It's a phenomenal score. And it works for this movie so well. So well, because it sounds churchy. Yep. Um, and we can get into the ins and outs of that. Yes, uh, yeah. It sounds churchy. There is like a choral aspect to it. There is a... Uh, uh, what's the word? Synthesizer, like a, like yep. an organ aspect yep. Yep. to it. But yeah, like it's the kind of thing that I would expect out of a more morose drama. And so I think that's why it works being juxtaposed against what is I don't want to call it a slasher. It's really not right. Um, but you know what could be categorized as that. It's, yeah. So I could see why he'd be like, man, this is not what I made. Yeah. But I could also see you know the filmmakers being like, no, this is this is exactly what we need. It's I mean you know t- what are we now twenty thirty years later? It's like it it you know twenty five I guess something about twenty seven. Yeah. Uh, Fuck. It all <laughs> that I know that all. Oh, yeah, I looked it up. Virginia Madison was four years younger than I am now. Oh god. In that movie, and Tony Todd was three years older. Yeah. God. <laughs> It's crazy, man. That's crazy. Uh, we're all dying. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's so I know. fucked up. Uh, but it's like it all matches. Like that's the, it. Like makes sense. It's like this is the score for this movie. This movie has to have this score. It, like this score couldn't exist in a different movie, and this movie couldn't exist like without the score. You know, uh, what I mean? we, if it had any different score, yeah. it would be. And not to discredit the movie. No, no, no. It would be fantastic. margin, like yeah. like noticeably less effective without it, that score. It feels, yeah. It, it's it's like uh, it's like Star Wars in that regard. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, it's yeah, like, without it's a doubt. Very helped by its score in in great ways. They they complement each other very well. We always say like not always say, but like the general wisdom is that like the best scores are either ones that are like so oppressive, like Star Wars, that they become a theme. Yeah. Or are just such good background music that you barely know you're hearing them until they're gone. Yeah. And this somehow finds the middle ground between those two. Totally. And it, it works in a way that it probably shouldn't. Yeah. And, and you know what? It probably has to do with the fact that it is a tonal mismatch mm-hmm. to what is happening visually. It kind of is. But it also, like, it feels right. It's like you were saying. Oh, yeah. It's like it feels, you know, just, I don't know, some of the thematics of the story and stuff. It feels like the right the mm. right thing. It's, it's very interesting. It's not really a gothic horror movie. No. But it has those gothic tones to it yeah and if, you know in terms of being murky and there's a lot of like larger scale set pieces here yeah a lot of the story is told through looking through a hole in an apartment yeah doing, you know just layered sets yeah and when i think of gothic filmmaking that is something that i think is true to it and so the the music fits in that regard well and i think but it's also like kind of a hood movie oh well, i was gonna say I, so, I think like know. forgive like some of the the terms that we might use through this but i do think the movie is sort of like made uh with these kinds of terms in, in mind or whatever but like it does feel like it's literally trying to be an urban legend mm. and using the word urban to also mean like urban as in like black culture and like you know what i mean clive barker actually got some pushback yeah uh, from his story because they was saying like you can't take these old legends and make them yours Right. To which his response was, I actually invented this legend. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. This yeah. isn't a real legend. Right. Now, you know, granted, there's still more to be had about the conversation of, you know, ownership of, of you know, just using a slave story and all that. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's it's pretty clean here. But I thought it was funny that it reminded me of Eric Christopher Myers. Yeah. That he created, uh, yeah. uh, what's his name? Peeping Man. Tom. Yeah. And, but yeah. And then, and so now it's like sort of becoming real. Yeah. And I think in that aspect, there's a lot to be mined out of Candyman. Yeah. Uh, Candyman is sort of like, I'm afraid to do that in the mirror. Yeah. Because it's become sort of yeah. real lore. It's so wild. But I, I think like to the point you were making too, it's like I, I think that it is trying to be the urban version of a gothic horror. Yeah. If that makes sense. It you makes know perfect I mean? sense. I it, think that's hundred percent true. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I so I think you're right. I think it's sort of trying to use the visual language of like gothic horror, but like 
what does that look like in an urban environment? Yeah, what does it look like setting? in a literal project? Yeah, yeah. Which, interesting piece of trivia uh, about the projects yeah. is that is a real project. Yep. They really did shoot a real one. And in order to be protected while on set, they employed uh, just gang members who lived there Whoa. to run security Whoa. and to basically just say, like, these people are cool. Yeah. So it was actually a pretty unsafe environment, so much so that the production van got shot up by a sniper. No one got hurt, oh but it God. did get shot by a sniper that was just like... Our turf, get out. That's wild. And so yeah, and so a lot of the 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 guys that you see that live there, yeah, actually do live there, yeah, and were acting and performing, um, you know, it's sort of like security, but also like social lubricant to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that you know that's that's scary stuff, but I think that adds a genuineness to it. And you know, it's certainly you know me being who I am. Uh, very few times in my life have I found myself in a project. Yeah, and. None of those times have they been in such uh, disrepair as the one in the movie. Yeah. And so just being a white guy looking at that, that makes it doubly scary. Oh, yeah. But the fact that they made it genuine, you know, does make it more scary for me, but also like assuages my white guilt in that it's like, oh, you actually put some jobs in there. So yeah. That's kind of cool. Well, it's it's interesting, too, because like that is definitely one of the things that I think is like kind of going on in this. movie. You know, this movie is like pretty on the nose about some of the stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, Candyman is a, a, a slave who was murdered for his love of a white woman, basically. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there is some, like, subtler stuff going on, too, with just, like, the way that this is, you know, one of the things, it's interesting that that's, like, the background of the movie, when I think one of the things that's going on in the plot is, like, an educated white woman comes to the hood and that is bad for the hood. Mm -hmm. Like that brings damage, like more damage to the hood that she's just there trying to thinking she's doing things that might be helping I or think bettering. She thinks that she's trying to like open up a window right. into it. And, uh, in a weird way, it's sort of read to me like she's trying to explain an unexplainable mythos, right. and in doing so, is sort of stepping out of her her realm. Yes, and you know, and I, I think that ends up being Candyman's beef is like you took the magic out of my legend yeah. by essentially some criminal took the fall for my whole legend, and right. I've got to bring it back. Yeah, and it's like I, you know, I don't know what I'm necessarily trying to say, but just her trying to introduce an outsider perspective as a way of decoding what's going on. Yeah, is ultimately what's dangerous to her because it's it's not necessarily her place to make that alteration and you could say dangerous to that community which yeah, is very yeah. interesting because like i you know her getting well, involved a disruption there, of an ecosystem yeah her way. getting involved there like does bring harm to some of those people mm -hmm. you know that baby gets kidnapped because she's oh, there yeah. you know the dog gets decapitated yes. yeah the that scene was, fucking... was crazy that's when i put down my sandwich dude <laughs> That scene and was I don't eat meat, crazy. so I was just sitting there eating like a cheese sandwich. I'm like, this is too much. <laughs> that was definitely the moment the movie went from like I was like engaged with it and like this is so fascinating. Like, what's going on? To like, oh, okay. The, I did not realize this was like what we were here for. It's you know what movie. I mean? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's bloody as fuck. Yeah. Um, so I do I think that's interesting that that's the background of the movie and that like a little bit part of the story is like what happens when like the educated white folks come to sort of like try and open a window to this community you know mm -hmm. what I mean how that can be damaging to that community in some way and then I think the further thing it's doing that's really interesting and I think it's trying to do this I, I might be putting a little too much on it just because I had seen the documentary right before this I mean that's why they screened it back to back <laughs> so, for sure so uh, go for it uh, uh, like I kind of think one of the things that's going on is she ultimately gets put through the nightmare that is the ultimate white nightmare. But the, I think the parallel the movie is making is that that is pretty close to just like day-to-day -day life for a colored mm -hmm. person in America. The idea that she wakes up with blood on her hands 
and basically is given no trial and just sentenced to, you know... I think that is 100% what's happening. That's definitely what's going on, right? Especially now that it's, like, become common knowledge to the point where it can't be refuted. Right. That it's, like, you you aren't white, you're going to have a tougher time in in the eyes of the law. Right. No matter what. I don't care if you're... And this white lady gets put through that experience, basically. It's just, I'm sorry, we have no... There's nothing we can do to help you. Yep. And and I love that everyone takes that that angle of, you know, like, well, if you didn't want this to happen, you, sh- you should have foreseen this. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. to some degree, it's like, if you're going to rob a bank, yeah, you should have foreseen this. Right. But if you're going to drive while black, yeah. it's fucked up that you should have foreseen this. Yes. You know, like, yes. And so it's like, that's... I think they're definitely. That's definitely that what's there. going on in this movie. And I to think. tie that back to like, what was Candyman's original sin? Mm-hmm. He disrupted an ecosystem from the outside. Right. The thing is, his disruption was not one of of trying to insert his his knowledge or his being upon this ecosystem. Right. It was one that naturally developed. Yeah. And was not incorrect. Right. You know, people people are gonna fall in love with and yeah. have sex with who they who they care about. Yeah. That's just the fact of the matter yeah whereas this is vice versa she is interrupting this you know she's interrupting this ecosystem yeah but it's not in a natural way right it's in a way of it's intrusive you know, i some, have the right and yeah. i want to show you yeah. how things could be and it's like it just doesn't quite line up like that yeah it's it's interesting so and to, just to i'll knock this off too and then we can just like kind of like do more about the movie but so what the documentary discusses about this which i thought was very interesting and i probably would not have seen this in the movie myself like uh had i did i not have the context of the documentary they talk about candyman in the documentary more uh, uh they're as like um what's the word for this? They're like conflicted about it. Mm. All the people that talk about it in the documentary are very conflicted about it because it represents this like major shift in like black representation on the screen mm. where they kind of to some extent get the first black slasher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's like a pretty significant like it's important heavily associated culturally with being like a black movie despite being a largely white cast and white filmmaker. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like it represents like a pretty big shift because it's also like a commercially successful movie that mm. like stars a black man. You know what I mean? It's like Oh yeah. We, he's the only franchised uh, killer, we'll say, yeah. that isn't white or burned to a point where we can't tell. <laughs> yes, you know, right? Like, exactly. It's, uh, yeah. And, and so uh, it, it, he does represent this sort of like. And I'm very, pretty sure Freddie was white. Re- yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just saying. It, it like, but it represents this very uh, um, positive shift in in black representation in that sense. But in this other sense. It also reinforces this very old stereotype about black lust for white women. Mm. That, like, that's sort of the thrust of this movie. And to some extent, the movie depicts that as, as just that, as just like this black lust for a white woman, right? Mm. Um, and then the other thing they talked about, and I thought this was so interesting because. I, I, no, once again, I, I have not seen the doc, yeah. but I, at least in my read, I never felt like Candyman was lusting after right. her so much. I more felt like he was. I wouldn't say he was lusting after her because he wanted her, but he saw that like since she had essentially destroyed his legend, she was the key to bringing it back. Right. That, that said, I, I know for a fact, like at the end when they sort of ballroom dance, yeah. that scene was trimmed by producers because it looked too much like interracial romance. Right. So it's not not there. Yeah. It's well, and I think the interesting thing is I, I don't think anyone in the documentary is necessarily 
trying to say that the motives of the character in the movie are are specifically that. Mm. It I, still looks like it. I yeah. think what they're trying to say is just like this is a very old stereotype of black men yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that they lust after like white women. It would have taken a completely different flavor had the lead been a black woman. Right. Without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. And so I think they were just I think their larger concern was just like there's already this like difficult stereotype in place. Yeah, and this reinforces that it. this yeah. kind of reinforces to some I can extent. Definitely see that. Yeah. And, and then the other thing, and this was the thing that like I don't think I would have noticed this about the movie at all had they not talked about it but they were like the other thing that's a little bit weird is that given the history we get of Candyman, that he is a slave that was murdered by a bunch of white people they like very specifically say that he's like you know basically strung up they they uh feed him to the bees basically oh, yeah. you know like they cover him in honey and yeah, let bees yeah. eat him. It, it's horrifying but it's, so it's very specifically like white people do this to him that like essentially the movie seems to tell us that he's like haunting a, a project that he's like very specifically targeting a black community with his like hauntings. Mm-hmm. And when the other thing the movie's telling us is very explicitly like basically right across the park is an identical building full of white people that are like oh, yeah, not yeah. affected by Candyman. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, and they were like, it's just interesting. You know, that was an interesting thing they brought in the documentary where it's like, this is not necessarily a problem with the movie, but it's like, it is an interesting thing, isn't it? That it's like the movie depicts him as torturing this like black community, but leaving this white community alone. Mm-hmm. It's not until the white woman like comes to the black community that she's invaded by Candyman or whatever, you know? Yeah, and I was yeah, like, that is really interesting. I never would have thought about too. that. And it also speaks to the idea of, like, how we keep legends alive. Yeah. And, like, Candyman, at least in the white world depicted in this movie, is relatively unknown. Right. And it's his... It's the the knowledge of that legend that keeps him alive. Right. And so I think that that, to me, is at least some of the cool statement being made, is that, like, she does essentially try to take ownership and reframe yeah. this legend that yeah. isn't hers. That is really and interesting. And therefore, she is brought into it and and brought into it in a bad way that yeah. ends very poorly Ooh, for her. Oh, that's very interesting. But then the, the you know, the... the the question is, why is it within the black community keeping yeah. it alive? Is it a stand-in for the idea that like we have to keep telling the story of how threatened we are by society in right. order to stay aware and to stay alive? Right. I, I mean, that's certainly something that that unfortunately is like a necessity in a black family to teach. You know, yeah. Yeah. hands up. You know that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And um, you know, so I think that that there's something there, but I lose it all when I try to think of what are the rules of the Candyman. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know why they call him Candyman. They, uh, Ashley, Bl- I don't either. I was thinking about that actually. In like the well, den that she found yes. was the candy with the razor blades, and in that's it, but me- that was the guy and that I was think, pretending to be Candyman. I think, I think so, and I think that's also just meant to recall the other urban legends you know about. Yes, and that's one of them. And yeah. I think it's just trying to say like Candyman is like the he's the actual urban legend. All of these uh, other yeah, ones yeah. that you've heard about are actually Candyman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so, but then it's still I'll take that. But then it's still like, why Candyman specifically? That mm-hmm. feels like just um. But this works for me too, by the way. This explanation I'm about to give that feels like a colloquialism. That yeah. feels like what this neighborhood named him. That makes do, sense. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that absolutely makes sense. Yeah, and that's the thing. And I think in terms of you know, it, it, the way that you know, say a black family would just say like, hey, be cautious of people who look like this because look, you know, they're cautious of you. Yeah. It, you are teaching, and and it sucks that it has to be this way. But for a lot of people, it's smart to show your kids that the boogeyman, in that sense, does exist. Right. And I think that's what he represents. Yeah. Why is it? Why is he still alive in the projects? Yeah. Because for them, he has to be. Right. You know, he he has to be there. He has to be. You know that you put a face on the danger makes it a lot easier to combat than to just 
accept the the hard truth that the world kind of wants to spit you out you know yeah and i and i do think that's interesting and i do i think you're right like i think that that's probably like the motivation for sort Mm -hmm. of like connecting him that way um but functionally in the movie it's a little wonky yeah Yeah. because it's like okay that makes sense to me but then why is it a black why do they why do they make their boogeyman a black man who's Mm -hmm. like a slave like why it feels like a thing i don't know why but you know what i mean i don't know why Mm -hmm. you would in order to uh uh uh, does it establish that people know that about him I'm trying to, well, I guess the people that told the stories of saying Candyman in the mirror, yeah. they were all black, right? It I, was the two nurses. I think so, yeah. Yep. And, yeah. But, but then, know. like, a, but then also, like, a white professor. And maybe the white professor is the one that gives the backstory about the slavery, too. I don't know, that's actually. True, that's true. But I, I also think, too, like, that could just be a representative issue. I know. It's, you know, like, I, you know, the the boogeyman that I was taught about, yeah. just because of the way I am True. and the way I'm born, I would picture them as, you know, if, it, if I were to make a movie, I would picture them as a white, a white actor. Man. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, wouldn't I want them to look different for me to be a villain? Apparently yeah. not. Right, yeah. You know, Maybe. So, yeah. you know, it speaks to that. That's I mean, interesting when we talk too. about representation in just media now, yeah. you know, nobody cares whether the character's a good guy or a bad guy. They just yeah. want it to be well motivated and fully fleshed out. Yeah. And so, you know, I could see in that sense, like, if we're telling one of our culture's uh, boogeyman stories, yeah. it is going to, by you know, degree, look like us. Yeah, that might make sense. That's and also, you know, if it's a slave story, it really just only makes sense that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's And uh, uh, Ashley Blackwell in the documentary, and she's local to Philly, by the way. She does nice. Graveyard Shift Sisters, that, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. that website. That's, nice. that's hers. Um, she says that in the sequels, they like go into his history a little more, and it helps a little bit, like make a little more sense of that stuff, so that mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like quite as problematic, which was interesting to me. And that probably makes him more of a character because he really yeah. is not one. You know, he's he, just a boogeyman. He, I mean, he's very much a Clive Barker creation. Yeah, he's oh, he, yeah. he is a force beyond our understanding. You know, like he's mm. a, and even like. The the only time I mean this very much feels like a Clive Barker story to me, but the times it most feels like a Clive Barker story is all of the Candyman dialogue feels like it's right out of a Clive Barker oh, yeah. story. He I literally like says, "Your pain will be exquisite." Yeah. Oh yeah. I yeah. feel like this whole script was in like a leather bound book yes. with a with like the lock and key that yeah, keeps yeah. it shut, and it's just because it had to be written that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's uh. But so I the so here's the other thing that I think is interesting though about like the the project itself. Um. Tell me if you caught this. There's a weird expository thing early in the movie where um, one of the main characters explains that the building they live in is identical to that building in the projects, that they built them both at the same time and they're the exact same layout. But when the city finished them, they realized that one of them was on the side of the park that's on like the affluent side of the city, yeah, yeah. and the other one is in the projects. So the one that's on the affluent side, they basically just like spruced everything up a little bit and yeah, sold yeah. it to white people. That's not uncommon, right? Um, the building I used to live in at Twelfth and Chestnut yeah. was subsidized housing, yeah, until. Uh, Philadelphia Management Company bought it and yep. turned it into apartments. Yep. Now you saw the room. It was a shithole made nice. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, had it not been at 12th and Chestnut, had it been at, you know, 25th and Snyder, yeah. it would not look that way. No, yeah. You know, and it would probably be a lot cheaper. It would be incredibly cheaper. Yeah. 
And honestly, probably much more of a pleasure to live in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to yeah. Tell you the truth. But that, that's what I was going to bring up about that that I thought was like fascinating because this was another place where I was like, this movie is not actually like overexpositing to me about this stuff. It's kind of keeping it subtle. But it does. That's like an interesting conversation. It's happening about gentrification in in the midst of this movie. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting conversation. It's trying to have. I I so I might be stretching a little bit, but follow me on this parallel. I'll take it. The idea of like white society being built on the backs of like black labor, basically. Oh, yeah. This well, idea that like they before. live in the same exact spaces, you don't but get our blues space without yeah, you know. Southern Delta yeah. Blues. It's you like don't we, get rock and roll without yeah. Bo Diddley or Chuck Berry. And it's like the city spent money to build these two buildings expressly for this community. And then actually one of them's in a place where we could charge some more money. So we'll spruce it up and that'll be white community. And, and then we'll the other one. And, yeah. and that leaves this whole other part of the black community without anywhere to live, but who cares? And it's a fucking zoo. Yeah. And just because there's no, I mean, we could talk about failures of infrastructure yeah. Yeah. in America yeah. all goddamn day. Yeah. But like, I that is interesting that that shit every is city. in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's and a beca- stark disconnect. Yeah. And you can even see it around here. Yeah. Uh, this block that we are currently on, oh, yeah. before the school started turning it into. Apartments for students. Yep. It was probably not very nice. Well, and all of these houses, if you look at them from the outside, they're all the same house. This yeah. was like oh, yeah. they were just dropped here by like a you know a development company or mm-hmm. something. You know, twenty five years ago, probably as very cheap housing. Mm-hmm. I think most of these are actually full houses that were split into two. Yeah, um, and you know, same thing in where I'm in South Philly. There are so many houses that are just shitty, uh, you know, red brick uh, yep. walk ups. And on one side of Broad, these things are essentially mansions. They're yeah. going for yeah. six hundred grand as a fixer upper. Yeah. On the other side, they're going for you know fifty grand. Yeah. And but you might get shot outside. Yeah. And yeah. it's the same fucking house. Yeah. It's yeah. Cr- it's literally identical houses. Yeah. It's wild. It's crazy. Yeah. And I just I was like fascinated that this movie is like I, I don't know in 1992 it's sort of talking about these things but it's also like. It's it's not talking about them to the point. This is you know this is one of the things that we talk about where it's like this is the beauty of horror. It's and this is meant as no insult to these movies. It's not talking about them in the way that Do the Right Thing is talking about. Yeah, them. yeah. It's it is in 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 you could say a more mass appealing way talking about these things mm-hmm. so that they're there. You're watching them. You're you're hopefully absorbing some of like what they're trying to tell you, but you're also not being like Oscar messagey beat over the head mm-hmm. with them. You know, I was like fascinated by well, that. I think where you get that and cause I, this is something I struggle with all the time. Like there's a lot of movies that I think are like good for me that aren't particularly good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I have difficulty with them where I'm like, yeah, I'm into the message, but I'm bored, you know? Yeah. And, I, and it's, it's tough cause I don't want to come down hard on the message. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Lau. Yes. Former guest of the show, uh, my Love old super boy. crappy fun time. He said something really funny when I was visiting him in California. Yeah. He's, we were talking about diversity, and he said, I don't think we should call it diversity. We should just call it accuracy. Yeah, and that yeah. always stuck with me. I'm like, yeah, that's actually 100% true. Like, yeah. There's very few places anymore that are white-dominated. Yeah. Uh, it's just inaccurate to depict things that yeah. way. Uh, so we're, we're not fighting for diversity. We're just fighting for accuracy. Yeah. And so when you see a movie like Get Out or a movie like this, uh, where the message is there, the, it's not one where it's necessarily hitting you with the message, but it's depicting that world in such a truthful, honest mm-hmm. way that it's like this is just accuracy. Yeah, you know, and you could have easily made, uh, you could have easily made uh, the, the world that of the the Cabrini Green projects to yes. be. Oh, I and, love that you remembered the name. Oh yeah, yeah, because uh, it's a real project. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just it says so nice, Cabrini yeah, yeah. Green, Cabrini Green, and. Uh, yeah. 
and it really it, but that's the thing it feels real and cabrita green is real yeah, yeah and so by making that not like an other place and have it integrated naturally into the story that one of the real the it's chicago right i think so yeah one of the the things about living in chicago is that's part of it yeah one of the things about living in philly is we are living in all of philly there's certain things you understand about certain yeah. areas that's baked into this in a way that feels accurate yeah so therefore these themes arise naturally because it speaks to even an outsider's experience yeah. um, without having to hit us with, oh, man, it's really shitty that this place is shitty and this place is nice. No, it's just showing us exactly what we see. And when we see it reflected, it suddenly takes that effect. Yeah. It's just accuracy. Yeah. You know what was, I, I was, don't, I'm sorry, I was like listening to you and then my brain was oh, go, trailing go, yeah, go, into go, like... Go. You're more informed on this than me Well, no, you had that, that doc in you. I, I know, and I, I pretty much, I think I've pretty much divulged all the, the kind of stuff that it, it taught me about this movie, but one of the things that I kept thinking as I was watching it, I kept going like, oh my God, this is my worst nightmare. Like having no control over the situation I'm in, having all of the control ripped from me. Being robbed of your agency oh because you look God. bad to the authorities. Dude, it scares the shit out of me. I yep. kept thinking about how scared I was. And then like every time I thought about how scared I was, I was like, this is the whitest reaction to this movie. Because this is just the way it's some people normal. live their lives. It's crazy that I'm not afraid of Candyman. Right. I'm afraid of the situation that, that her she finds relationship in. with Candyman puts her yeah. in. Like, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. I love true crime. Yeah. One of the things that I always end up skipping over is wrongfully accused. Uh, any sort of wrongfully accused stuff or wrongfully convicted. Because there's just nothing more heartbreaking than completely robbing someone of their agency. And it's usually due to arbitrary things. Yeah. What kind of arbitrary things? Eh, just look at him. Yeah. And that's something that disproportionately affects people of color. Yeah. And so, yeah, that is a very scary thing to see oh this pretty God. little white lady go through this. Yeah. And then I resonate with that. And it's like... <laughs> Fuck, man, you, I, you got nothing to worry about. I know, and it's like that's... And this is normal. That's like the life people lead. And, yeah. I, and that I like it kept reminding me that. And I think like that's like more powerful than a movie, than any movie I've seen in like, the last five years. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, man, the, Candyman it, rules. It just kept reminding me You're talking me, me up from four stars. Oh, my God, man. <laughs> so good. I, have, I have not stopped thinking about it. I, I cannot stop thinking about this movie. And it's like, it's not just all of this stuff that, which I do find like oh, very interesting. it's just a rip-roaring horror it's movie. So, yeah. It's such a fucking good horror movie. And like... I don't know. It this movie has a tone that I couldn't possibly put into words, but there's no other movie that feels like this movie. Hellraiser's the closest thing. And it and it still is not quite what this is. No other movie feels like this. And I like, couldn't believe it. The sound of it, the look of it, the the I don't know. It just like it's very unique, I think. It's like it, it is wholly its own thing. And it, that in and of itself, I think, is like remarkable and worth all five stars. You know what I mean? And it's certainly like when we think, you know, you think of all the action figures that are made and all that, yep. uh, Candyman is in the pantheon oh, of yeah. slasher killers. But even earlier in this this show, I was very hesitant to call it a slasher because yeah. it's it's really not. It, not exactly, no. It's it's not quite, there's no stock and slash going right. on. And so, yeah, it is wholly new, unique. I can't really think of another slasher that abides by this sort of function. No, it's, I mean, it's closest parallel as far as that goes is probably a nightmare on Elm Street, just in the sense that everything is more motivated by this sort of dreamlike narrative nature, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but it's still, Freddy and Candyman are two, like, very different characters that, that um, their intent is wildly different. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, uh, so it's not comparable in that way. Oh, yeah. Uh, Freddy's, like, all about getting revenge yes. on this. But it, Candyman is quite literally about... I want to hold on to the story that I represent. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, you've you've bastardized it, and yeah. I need to make a bet, take y it back. Yeah, that 
that is fascinating, by the way. I didn't even think about it that way. And like, as soon as you said it, I was like, yeah, that fucking, that's exactly what's going on in this movie. That's not only the piece of information that I wasn't quite putting together that helped me understand Candyman's motivations. Because I came out of the movie a little bit like that. Like, this was really, really great, but I don't fully understand, like, Candyman's motivations in the story, mm-hmm. which maybe you're not supposed to, but I, I think, think he says it at one point, though. He, he does, says but something I, just like. The way he says it, I didn't quite. Yeah, it's like all poetic. Yeah, and, and I, yeah. I think you nailed it for me. But then the other thing is, I do think that's, like, a lot of what the movie's saying, too. Oh, without a doubt. Is, maintain, is controlling our narrative. That's, like, mm. that is the most important thing to somebody that basically lives in a world that like wants to take their narrative from them at all times. Well, it's you know? that lack of agency yep. where it's like, if I live in a world that can possibly just take away my freedom uh, at, at a literal whim, yeah. then the most important thing for me is to be able to control whatever aspects I can. You yes. know? Yeah. And it's, you know, you get someone who's locked up in jail for life, you know, they, it's very quick. It's very easy for them to go, well, I'm not getting out, so I can't tell that story, but yeah. you know, maybe I can find faith in jail. Maybe I can. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, this is these people are are stuck in this shitty project, and it's like, yeah, well, we can actually keep control of our legends, of right. our story, and you know, Candyman who had, you know, stepped out of his lane at least in a historical context, you know, found himself at the at the wrong end of a of a funeral pyre, right? And so, yeah, goddamn it, he wants to make sure that his legend is one that is remembered at yeah. the very least. If yeah. his life couldn't be one that was lived, yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is, is like the fin- Jenna locked herself out of the apartment. Oh no, is she all right? Oh, she's going to an audition anyway. Oh, okay. So she, so otherwise I'd have to bounce out. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I was gonna say we can just like take a break right now and and come back to this. Oh no, no, we're good. All right, cool. I'm glad she's all right. Hi, Jenna. Hi, Jenna. <laughs> she's doing a uh uh for anyone listening. She's doing a Johnny Depp uh play that I'm very excited about. I'm going to go see it uh, the day after this comes out on the internet. Oh, right on, right yeah. on. I'm seeing it that day. Oh, awesome. yeah, guys, you should check it out. It's called uh, Johnny Depp. Uh, oh, I forget. It's like Johnny Depp, A Study of Late Stage Capitalism or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's part of uh, uh, Philly uh, Theater Week. Yeah. And it's going to be real cheap. And and I've got a small window into the script, and it's like real fucking funny. Yeah. And so she wrote it uh, with her friend Val and, you know, it's we're we're at the point now where like loving Johnny Depp's a real hard thing to do. Yeah. But we can love his legacy as we mock the monster he's become. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And to tie it into the idea that uh we might be seeing the fall of the great American entertainment and cultural empire is like real funny. Yeah. So yeah, and you know, you get gold chocolates that you get to throw at her Hell every yeah. time she references a Johnny Depp movie. So you're you're in. That's great. Yeah. So come check that I'm out. I'm excited. But uh, cool. okay, so we're good. That's good. I yeah. don't need to go let her in. No, okay, great. That's fine. And we wrapped it right into the show. Yeah, there we go. yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, so the other thing I want to talk about is the finale of this movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The finale fucking rocked me real hard. And I was like, two people completely on fire. Yep. Sold. And and one of them is protecting a baby yeah. while it's happening. One's protecting a baby while her head is on fire. It's insane. And the other one is spitting live bees out yeah. of his mouth, which yeah. uh, real bees. You, oh, yeah, you could tell. Tony Todd was uh, stung 23 times over the course of the franchise. Oh, So not bad, but they had to specifically get bees that were 12 days old. Why? Because at 12 days, they look like full-grown bees, but their stingers haven't fully developed, so they're less dangerous. They can still sting... But you're not gonna you're not gonna be my girl. Do do bees bite as well, or am I thinking of wasps? I don't know. Okay. I feel like I've been bitten by one or the other. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. 
Well, because I'm just wondering if that like helps them make a decision about which ones they use, right? Like, if you can get one where its stinger is not fully grown at 12 days, mm-hmm. I would hope you're also choosing the one that doesn't have teeth. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, they're, like, they're still at 12 days. They're they're probably still babies, but yeah. they're full size. Yeah. And man, oh man, that is that is some bees. So fucking Fuzzy effective. Bees. It's crazy. Yeah. I also, by the way, just because we're talking about that, one of the opening shots of the movie is just Chicago being swarmed by bees. Yeah. Oh yeah. Amazing imagery like that. I was like, oh, this movie is, and like the Philip Glass score is like just starting. Oh I was yeah. Like, yeah. What the is heavy this order movie? The bees are going yeah. so good, so good. Uh, but yeah, that finale is like it fucking rocked me hard because you got people on fire. Mm. Uh, they're protecting a fucking baby while it's happening, and like I just again, it's like that whole idea of what's happening in that movie is like this white woman. She, by the way, she like does do it and almost like um uh, uh, through the looking glass Alice in Wonderland thing with that like that hole in the wall that she oh, steps yeah, through. Yeah. I kept thinking about that. I was like, ooh, this is like a very Interesting like- thing. That was added after the fact. Okay. Um, when they were researching the area by going into an adjacent building that isn't the projects, Whoa. they discovered that design flaw. Yeah. And then someone said- well, that would be a really clever way for a criminal to get around without being noticed. Lo and behold, they do some research and find that, oh, yeah, happens all the time. Yeah. And so then it was written into the movie. Well, that also adds this layer of like, well, the legend of Candyman is that he comes out of the bathroom mirror at you. Mm. And what they're finding out is that, like, actually, that's like a real thing that can yeah, happen. Someone could come the, out you know what I mean? Mirror. And it's like, it's like, that's kind of a cool well, layer. Of like, the, uh, the, the gang man who, yep. who goes by the moniker of Candyman yeah. now, who has absorbed it. Uh, probably does that right. to to steal some shit or right. you know fuck people up. Yeah, it's I, I was fascinated by that that they they sort of run this real world parallel to the legend, you know, as as is often the case with something like an urban legend. You know, there's like some sort of truth that it's like based mm-hmm. in. You know, um, but uh, and also the idea that like you know the when we create legends like Boogeyman, like you were saying before, it's like specifically to teach people to like act a certain way or know a certain thing and it's like oh, yeah. they literally created a legend to be like yo man watch your bathroom mirror because people walk through that people shit. will come through <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so true yeah it's yeah. so true and and i think that that's why even at the end like when there's a torch you know they're they're torching this pile so of it's, trash it's almost like a frankenstein story you know it's, it's like, like a frankenstein story yeah. but what i love is that for uh for a lot of the people there they don't see this as we're burning this legendary candy man right they see it as we had a criminal up in here that was seriously fucking shit up and he yeah. had a hook yeah. and we saw that hook yeah. is he out is he out of jail we don't know but yeah. better safe than sorry yeah and so yeah the little kids start burning it the whole town comes out to watch it's like yeah. you know and, and in a way they are burning candy man but for them it's also just like no this is just street justice yeah yeah we have to take care of our own it's intense as fuck and then like the idea that the main character of the movie fucking dies in this movie mm-hmm. that i was like I didn't expect that. I didn't expect a 1992 horror movie to kill the white lady. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like Our lead. Yeah. I, you know, though, I will say that I, I found her to be not your typically likable protagonist. Oh, Which yeah. I think was smart. I agree. Because, and I don't know if it's just a modern sensibility looking back, but even watching it, I felt at certain times just being like, lady, you're pushing the boundaries oh, yeah. of what is safe for you yep. and what is going to be acceptable to the people that you are essentially trying to exploit, yep. even though you don't see it. And like, I think that that is very much on the face of the movie. I do too. It's heightened, of course, by me coming at it from 2019. Yeah, absolutely. But I think no, that I think it the movie is knows definitely there. Like that. she is not meant to be your final girl that right. you root for because she is the the more you know the arbiter of morals in the I movie. Agree. I think she is meant to be depicted as like you are you are going too far. I, I'm more surprised that 1992 movie studio 
made a movie where that's oh, the case. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Oh yeah. I, like I, pre nine eleven to have your hero die is yeah. very weird. And that she's a white lady in a yeah. horror movie. You know what I mean? Like I was like, and that's... it's funny. And it's her black friend was the one that was always just like, "We're going too far. <laughs> Pump the brakes." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it seemed to be more couched in her just being like, "This isn't safe." Right. You know, I'm lucky that I'm well off yeah. and I'm a student and yeah. I have a good yeah. job and all that. But at the same time, it was also just like. Come on, we don't need to know this. Yeah, you're yeah. going you're taking it too far. We can write our paper without it. Yep. And so yeah, it is it's a flip of that sort of thing. I yeah, I, and the just man, that ending is like I couldn't stop thinking about it. It's so crazy, but it's so well done too. This whole movie is like really well shot it's and edited. It's really really effective. Yeah. I was definitely afraid of the fire. Oh yeah. When she's in the pyramid oh, of fire God, holding yeah, the baby trying to Dude, find an opening. So stressful. It's there's really someone sitting surrounded by like they did yep. that with fire. Yep. That's awesome. It was so stressful. And like um there's a lot of just uh um what's the word i'm looking for like the the movie is just full of these like very stressful well done set pieces that often end up using that strobe effect and flashing back to that big hole in the oh, wall yeah. that she comes through. It I love that. that. And it would flash to pictures of the corpses that have piled up. Yes. Which yep. was real unsettling. Yeah. I, I loved that. I, I just thought like the 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 filmmaking in general was like so good. It I, it's definitely like one of my favorite horror movies that I've seen recently. There's quite literally nothing like it. I think you said it best. Yeah. It really does not compare I've never seen anything, anything else like it. No, nothing else feels like this movie. And to tell you the truth, in the way that I fear Michael Myers yeah. uh, and fear Freddy and all that, yeah. I don't fear Candyman right. like that. And not because he's not a, a fearsome force. He is. But he is the only the only quote-unquote, I'm air-quoting, slasher that yeah. I can think of that part of his design is that I have sympathy for him. Yeah, well, and also, like, you have to summon him. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not like Michael Myers where he just might come for mm. you. Um, it's not like Freddy where something has already happened in your past mm. somewhere that irrevocably links you to him, and so he's coming for you, you know? Mm. it's You have to summon him, which I think is an interesting thing, too. Oh, yeah. He's the only one I can think of that you have to do that. Yeah. And he's the only one with a background that has, you know, an empathetic angle. Like, yeah, yes. Jason, you could say, but, like, those movies are so disparate in how they characterize yeah. Jason yeah. that it's it's not really real to yes. to call him anything but an image. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked about this yes. before, but, yeah. like, with Candyman, it's like... I'm not gonna say I, I support his slaughter. Sure, but at the same time, I see him and I go, "That man got fucked over real hard for doing nothing wrong." Well, and whereas like Freddie, he fucked kids and he got burned for it. Yeah, it was wrong that he got burned yep. for it, but I don't have sympathy for him. Well, you know what? I you just, know, it's you Michael know I just Myers. Realized, he's just evil. And I know this isn't this isn't like unique to Candyman, but think about it in the context of those big slashers that we keep talking about. Halloween is not called Michael Myers. Yeah. A Nightmare on Elm Street is not called Freddy Krueger. Mm. Friday the 13th is not called Jason. Mm. Candy we, call, we call it that colloquially. But right. Yeah, yeah, it's not what it is. Candyman is called Candyman. Mm. Like, he does have a sympathetic story and is the, you could say, the character that this movie is about to some extent. Yeah, well, I, I think it definitely you is. Know? I mean, she's like, our audience surrogate. And then Helen becomes him by the end anyway. Mm. So it's like, you know, then then she becomes basically the new candy. Like, it's about Candyman, mm. you know? Um, uh, so he I do... is the main character, at least in terms of, like, it is teaching us his legend. Yeah, yeah. You know, it is, you know, it's not necessarily... I mean, actually, we could probably say a similar thing for Butterfly Kisses. Yeah. Like, yeah, it is about, and I'm not going to remember the, the character's name. Phoebe Tom. Oh. Uh, Kyle, or whatever oh. the, the filmmaker's name was. I forget. Oh. Mm. Is it Kyle? It's a 
definitely just a generic white dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But either way, like we're not there because we want to see his arc. Yeah. We're there because we want to see what effect Peeping Tom has on things. And I yeah. think that applies here to Candyman. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, she's our surrogate and yeah. she is the propellant of the the plot, but yeah. like when she dies, I don't necessarily feel some great loss right. so much as I just feel like that is the natural ending to Candyman's uh drive you know? yeah and, and it feels you know again it's it's like you're saying it's like i i, <laughs> I don't support his, his slaughter of these people or whatever but it does feel like there's a a lesson being taught through candy man mm-hmm. you know um where i would not say that about michael myers no, or no, any of all. those characters you know yeah um, the only lesson for that is look over your shoulder yeah 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 yeah, yeah. uh and so i, I think yeah i think that's kind of interesting that he he's sort of you you could, if you wanted to, argue that he's like a, a sympathetic force within this movie. I think he is in yeah. a way. Yeah. I mean, they do give him that background yep. so that we go, man, you know, and, and it almost sort of just speaks to the cyclical nature of, of, you know, enforcing trauma on something where it's just like you, you know, like we can call him evil and he certainly is. But we also have to understand the fact that he was made evil, and he was made evil by forces that were responsible for it. Yeah, and, you know, and that's you know we can always trace first cause back to just infinitely to anything. Yeah. But the important part of that conversation is always remembering, just always remembering exactly that that it's like they're you know because even with Freddie, it's like. Yeah, he's actually justified in in some not ju- I don't think revenge is ever justified, but. Right. Um, you know, I think it's there is some sympathetic reason you might be able exactly to, like, to see. I would be pissed too if yeah, some people yeah. burned me alive without a trial. Yeah, I would also be ready to burn someone alive if he fucked all our kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah and like you can just keep tracing that yeah. sort of thing back. And I think culturally, when we talk about race relations in America, we are constantly chasing that first cause, and we're never going to find it. Um, but the conversation comes in the form of always chasing that first cause yeah. and always understanding the repetition of patterns. And I think Candyman represents that. Um, he is going to kill to keep his story alive, but why is he going to do that? Well, because his story was taken from him, mm-hmm. you know, and this is the only story that he has the means with which to tell. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's it's that's impressive stuff. Well, I think uh, this is interesting too that it kind of speaks to what you're saying a little bit. One of the the things I remember most from the horror noir documentary and I don't remember who said it, but um one of the people they're interviewing at some point pretty early in the documentary goes like, you know, uh the the history of black horror is black history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> black horror is just black history. Like yep. that's that, that's what it is for us. And I was like that is fascinating. And I think like that speaks a little bit to what we're talking about with Candyman here where it's like he's a little bit of a sympathetic force in this movie because it's like he's he's born of the horror of history of being black. He was you know? thrown into a horror movie yeah. completely against yeah. his will and tried to get out of it by uh being a portrait artist yeah. by playing the game yeah. and played the game so well that someone else is willing to step out of the game and fall in love with him even though it was forbidden yep. and yeah, she was probably fine that's so sad too he they was give him that backstory of like and he was like a, an artist and that's why they took mm-hmm. his hand and you know <sighs> brutal yeah. yeah interesting thing about the hand yeah the blacksmith that was hired to blacksmith that hook yes made the hook they went to go pick it up and then when he found out that it was for a horror movie his christian upbringing caused him to refuse to sell it to the uh, he refused what? the work yep 
He said no. So did they have I, to get somebody else it. to make another hook? I don't know if he ultimately, um, like most religious zealots, could be bought. But um, uh-huh. I think that. Uh, but I mean, they got a great hook. I don't yeah. know. What, and oh, it yeah. looks like it has been smithed. Oh you know, yeah, it doesn't look like, like a prop. It really it's does look like that dude's hand is not there, and there's just yeah. like a hook on some meat. It's like it's very good makeup. It's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. I think that's actually another thing that separates Candyman from the rest of them is he's a pretty physically gruesome thing. Yeah, his shirt opens oh, yeah, up, yeah. and we see that all of his wounds yeah. from being burnt and being eaten by bees is still there. Um, we, You know, Freddy's got a standardized burn look, yeah, yeah. but it's not as visceral so much as it's a cartoon. He also looks so cheap in the first couple movies. Yeah, you know what I mean? Super, like, super, he, he, he doesn't, has a mask. Yeah, he doesn't start looking good until a few Jason movies in. Jason looks good in the mask. When he takes the mask off, yeah, we see some wounds, but yeah, it's yeah. not like this is actually visceral stuff. He's constantly bleeding, yeah. even though he is an otherworldly force. And full of that bees. That stump of his is full of bees. <laughs> yeah. That stump of his bleeds the entire time. Yeah. So many times in this movie, Virginia Madsen wakes up covered in blood that is neither hers nor the victim's. It's Candyman's. Yeah. It's, oh, God. Can we uh, talk about her husband, Trevor? Oh, my God. <laughs> Played by Xander Berkeley. Yeah. A uh, 1980s uh, bully villain magnate. You know what? I looked him up because I was like, man, does he look familiar. And by the end of it, me and Tori were like, I think he's the dude in Mandy that like blows the horn of Abraxas or whatever. Is he? No. Okay. I was going to say. He looks be... so much like him. It's crazy. He's in crazy. every movie. I, d- I looked him up and it's like movie. he's in every movie. Yeah. He plays the best like if there is if there is a uh, and it's it's funny cuz this movie predates the the common usage of the term but if there is a better depiction of like corruptible white privilege than than Trevor yeah. I, I haven't seen it well first of all he's a professor his name is Trevor his name is Trevor played by a Xander yeah Dude. But he's a professor that absolutely abuses his power yes. to fuck students yep. and cheat on his wife. Yep. He's absolutely he he is the mindset of I want it all and I can have it all yep. because who's going to stop me? I deserve it all. Oh yeah, and that is the poison of when privilege gets to your head, dude. Like, that is so good. When she, I mean, it is such a sad scene ultimately, but it is funny to me in the context of this when she escapes from that mental institution they put her oh, in. Oh yeah, yeah, and she comes home to find that college girl painting her apartment and he walks out in that ridiculous robe. Oh, yeah. As they're painting it fucking Pepto-Bismol pink. The worst. Yeah. Oh, it's disgusting. Uh, I just, when he walked out in that robe, I was like, oh my God. Like, I can... Fucker. I can <laughs> literally hear just like the only... Like, that's a, that is a very particular... It's like you're saying, like a very particular kind of white stereotype where like the only time that dude has ever been put in his place was... At some point, his mom was like, Trevor! Yeah. Oh, and yeah. that's like what he hears when his <laughs> wife discovers him with a college girl and he's in his robe. He just hears, Trevor! Oh, yeah. You know, like that. And he, he doesn't even see it so much yeah. as like, I fucked up. He yeah. sees it as like, all right, well, well let's clean up this mess. Yeah, and then I'll yeah. get my dick wet. Like, yeah, he's yeah. such a fucking it's, monster. Oh, my God. Yeah. But I love. What this is, and this is just cruel. Yeah. But I, you know, this is a cruel movie, and I think you know, based on all the thematic stuff we're talking about, it is it is important that it is cruel. Yeah, I agree. To, you know, to to show that like the forces that are larger than us are not at all concerned with fairness. Yeah, and yeah. and I think that's key, is you know, specifically yeah. in speaking about you know the black community. But yes. I love how cruel it is to his little college lady. Yes, because. She definitely knows she's up to no good. Mm -hmm. She definitely knows Mm -hmm. that she's being a homewrecker. And by the end, we can assume that she's about to go to jail for life (laughs) for the brutal murder of the man that she has been fucking behind his wife's back. So not only is she suddenly thrown into this 
horrendous trauma yeah. of oh my god i i my life has been upended yeah. this dude is dead but she's going to jail for it for life the yeah. way that virginia madsen did for you know kidnapping the baby or killing the dog yeah and there is absolutely nothing she can do about it. So she is now in the position that we talk about as a scary position for all people who could be judged by their skin being dark. Yes, yes. And she's now in it. And why? Because she thought she could fucking get away with whatever she wanted yeah. because she lives in a world that allows her to get away with whatever she wanted. Yeah, yeah. It's so great. Yeah. Oh, my God. Now, granted, I, I, I would prefer it if... I know what you mean. She's kind of an innocent She's bystander kind of to this whole thing. And this is going to sound awful, yeah. but I would prefer it if she died and he went to jail for life. Right, right. right. I think that to me is more satisfying in yeah. a cinematic vengeance way. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't think I ever want to give up him getting his back carved Ugh. open uh, and then her just being completely Ugh. fucked. Every time they introduce the idea that he just takes his hook from your crotch to your chest, like... Oh, I've God. got a note about that. Please. So uh, they refer to, he cuts you from groin to gullet. Oh, yeah. Groin to gullet, another way to say that, is to cut someone from the nave to the chaps, as is listed in Macbeth. Also Shakespearean reference, Hamlet has the line where they reference sweets for the sweet. Whoa. Which is Candyman. Yes. And the graffiti on the walls yep. say sweets for the sweet. That's crazy. So there are Shakespearean that's references cool. going on here, too. I didn't too. know that. That's yeah. interesting. Oh, I wanted to say before we were that's, talking that's about That's the him. key to dating a Shakespearean actress. <laughs> yes, yeah. Is you end up learning all this dorky shit that turns oh, out being Oh, I love that. That was dorky. just like Jenna like knew that one. Well, no, she wasn't oh, okay. watching yeah, it, yeah, but yeah. like these are, uh, when I heard Groin to Gullet, yeah. uh, I in the past had talked to her about that phrase, because yeah. it's actually Macbeth, because the phrase Macbeth is, is cursed in theaters. Oh, Right, so right, right, no right, act, right. actor will ever say so Macbeth. They say, they Macbeth. say Macbeth. They call yeah. it Mackers and all that. Yeah. So in learning about all of that, I've learned a lot of Shakespearean phrases. Yeah, yeah. But I knew the sweets for the sweet I thing. didn't know that. That's and interesting. And when they said groin to gullet, it's just like a bunch of yeah. red yarn connected in my head. Yeah, yeah, and that's so, cool. And so, boom. And then, and then, of course, validated by IMDB when I started going through the trivia, yeah. and they mention exactly that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I One of the things I wanted to say, because we were talking about it a minute ago, I, one of the things that I love about Tony Todd in this movie is just like that dude like uh, cuts a figure on screen. Like he is such a strong presence on screen. I, I like the moment he shows up in the parking garage for the first time. So good. Just the way he looks in that like jacket that they have him in and the way he like postures the character. He has a self-satisfied look on his face. Too. Yeah. One that's just like. It's weird to say, but he seems at peace. Yeah. And that's scary because he's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, I just I wanted to make sure we got that in because I thought he was like incredible in this movie. He, he fucking He's one ruled. of those actors that like I, I don't want to say he was sunk by Candyman because like he was in Platoon. Yeah, yeah. He's a, you know, he's a really good actor. Yeah. And I think he's probably got some like theater training too. But like he is now Candyman. Like yeah. he, he even shows up in a couple of the Final Destination movies. Oh yeah. As just a He's a the coroner guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Corner, yeah. yeah. And so like that that is entirely built in the fact that he is a recognizable horror face. Right. Yeah. I, you know what's funny is so we we were talking about this before we started recording. Like I had no familiarity with Candyman beyond the VHS cover, <laughs> which for some reason scared me as a kid. Like I, I remember oh, this it's being gnarly. Yeah, this being one of the movies that like I never wanted to see because it just looked crazy. You know. Um. I. Uh. What did you just say that made me think of that though? Um. You said he's been in a lot of movies. Oh but yeah, like he's uh, sort of been I knew pigeonholed beyond Candyman. When I saw Final Destination, I was in whatever sixth grade or something. You know what I mean? That came out when I was in like middle school. I 
even though I had never seen Candyman, I don't think I had ever seen him in any other movies. When he came on screen as that character, I like knew that I was supposed you to recognize him. Yeah. yeah, I like I knew that, which is weird that he just already because that was you know I don't know 1998, 1999. Like yeah. he had already permeated culture like that, you know, which is, is, is pretty I mean, crazy. He's one of the slashers, even yeah. If he's not, you know, technically a slasher. Yeah, yeah. I do love in in Final Destination two. There's a weird moment where they go to visit him to talk about something or other, or sure. grab a dead body yeah. or something, and he has some sort of weird moment of of uh, I think it's like almost psychic ability. And they're like, "How did you know that?" And he almost looks at the camera with a look that's like, "I'm fucking kidding me. Like, I, know, I know shit." But it's it's played very much like that, yeah. and it's great. That's cool. He just like looks at them like. Come on. Yeah, I love that. How do you not know? Yeah. Oh, by the way, wait till you see the documentary, because he has a very interesting reaction to being asked about Candyman. I mean, talk about it a little bit. I I can't remember exactly what it is, but I remember the feeling I got was him being pretty conflicted that that's what he's, like, known for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To some extent. It it felt like he was, like... He he says something to the effect of, like, I was very happy to do it, and I'm glad that I mean so much to people as that character. But, like, you could feel the hesitation in his voice as he was, like, saying those things. He's only that now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, was, it was pretty interesting. But I don't, I even, I don't know. I, he's I great in Platoon, yeah. though. Yeah. I, yeah oh, he's he, a real good actor. I, I can't, like, put words in his mouth, obviously. But, like, uh, the way I kind of read what he was saying, the way he was saying it, was that he even maybe had a little bit of an issue with, like, the the rep, the representation issue of, of, of Candyman to some extent. Mm-hmm. That, like, he was, like, happy to play him and so important and whatever. But, like, also, like... I get it. I know there's like things about this character that aren't like perfect, you know. And that's something that I think when you are facing down potentially becoming an icon, yeah, that you have to think about, yeah. And you know, yeah, it's certainly harder for him than it would be for you know a Robert England. To- totally, yeah. That was one of the really interesting things about the documentary, by the way, was like, um, you know, kind of the history of being like a black horror fan. And I, I guess I- I've thought about this a little bit, but it-, it really like brought some some clear perspective to this. The history of being like a black horror fan is basically like, great, they finally gave us a movie where we're Dracula. Mm. But like also it still is prob it's still on based on the racist stereotype that we are X, Y, and Z. Mm. It, it's like this constant, like, yes, we're gaining ground, but it's still always rooted in some racist stereotype of who we are. We run into that a lot now, and it sucks because like I think we miss out on a lot of progress because we forget that progress is incremental. Yeah. But also at the same time, I think that it's very important that we always call attention to the incremental shortcomings of progress. I think that's so to him. It's like you take the role of Candyman. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's good. But there's the caveat of, you know, what it means and all that. Well, that was one of the really interesting things about the documentary to me was kind of everybody in the documentary, all all of the the black people they interview in the documentary being like so excited to talk about Candyman because they love Candyman. And then immediately being like, but look, here's some things we need to talk about if we're going to talk about Candyman. Mm -hmm. Here are a couple issues with Candyman that we need to make sure we address and say out loud. But also, I fucking love Candyman. And I'm out of here with your nuance. I thought that was so interesting that like that, you know, that's like. That's how um, um, underrepresented people experience media all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's just, they, they have to, they've learned that that's like, that's what it is. It's something. That's what it is. And, and it's interesting that we're living in a moment right now where there's this big sort of, um, uh, and, and uh, I, you know, I have issues with this. I also support this. It's, you know, it's complicated. But we, there are very, uh, 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 you know, people are very vocally being like, this isn't perfect, so fuck it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and I get it. I, mean, I get I, it. Thing, I think we miss out on a lot of progress yeah. by condemning imperfection yeah. when I think that we should be saying, this is great and here's how it could be better. Yeah, exactly. And, you yeah. know, but you know how it is. But yeah. it, with anything, and I, and I always have to remind myself of this, is that the people that we typically see doing the condemnation yeah. are just the loud, yeah. angry yeah. minority. Yep. And it's like, there's actually a place for that because yeah. then there's pushback to that and yep. then we end up landing somewhere in the middle which is closest to the best track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. So we condemn a lot of progress, but the fact of the matter is things are always, always getting better. Yeah. You know, in fits and starts, it can slow. But, you know, in terms of black horror, I think we're at a point now where someone like a Jordan Peele no longer can no longer has to go that's good enough oh yeah you can say well that's pretty good but if i work with this i can actually make it ideal and you know fast forward 10 years and hopully it won't even be the conversation of making it ideal pre-packaged boom this is what we want the documentary seems to make the argument and and i think pretty successfully that it's like oh no get out is like that is the major shift they're like that movie it's it's not it didn't make the big splash it made because it's like, it's just that good. It's just blah, blah, blah. It is all those things. But like, it does actually represent the cultural shift that like everybody's been like waiting for and, and trying to push into the popular culture. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and I thought that was very interesting. And it did it in a way that like, and this is another thing I, as we always said, I, I always take issue with browbeating. Yeah. And like, this was a message that I benefit from. Yep. I felt deeply and never, never was I made to feel like this movie was, was trying to push me at an arm's distance yeah. and say, here's how it is. And you can't have it. Yeah. It actually ended up being welcoming. That yeah, was yeah. Like, listen, we're going to have this conversation. You're going to be a part of it. Yeah. And I'm going to scare the shit out of you while I do yeah. it. And it, you know, it, it, the fact that we were able to, that uh, Peel was able to bury this urgent and important and deeply felt message into a movie that's just fucking good on yeah, yeah, its yeah. own right. Yep. It's like so impressive to so me. So good. And that to me is the truest sign of progress. Yeah. When the thing that you're trying to make a thing, you almost de-thing it because <laughs> yeah. it's so, you know, it's so clean. Yeah. That's just, yeah. man. And, and, and this is me, a guy who's had, you know, a whole lifetime of horror movies that speak to me. Yeah. And it's like, imagine not having that and then seeing Get Out. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, It's got to be something incredible. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I think we can probably wrap up some Candyman conversation here and, and, and hit up, start talking about some women in horror. You got any final Candyman thoughts? I had a thought about Get Out the other day. Okay, go. And it was that if that movie took place two weeks ago, he actually would have died because uh, the TSA guy would actually have been unemployed <laughs> at the been, time <laughs> because of the government shutdown. And so That's in that funny. moment, I got real disheartened because yeah. I was like, damn. Yeah. More things change. The That's, they stay the same. That like just, he's, he's still fucked. Yeah, that just is the sequel to Get Out, is <laughs> yeah. that he gets in another terrible situation that Rod can't rescue him from because him. he's unemployed. That bro- And it broke my heart because I was like, damn, like he won and... It, it was only a small window in which he could win. Yeah, yeah. Because now that window is shut again. Yeah. God so. damn, that's so funny. Yeah, it's funny, but it, like that's really fucking. I know, I know, it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm laughing and choking on food. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I don't. Know, I, I think just with Candyman, like I'm almost afraid to watch the sequels because yeah. this one's such a great uh, capsule. Yeah. But I also would like to watch the sequels with the idea of just seeing what you now do with this thematic weight. And with this character that's interesting and nuanced, yeah. how do you franchise that without losing it? Yeah. Can they do it? Do they do it? Do yeah. they do it in a way that I can't expect? I don't know, but I'm very curious. I think there's only two more. Does that two sound more. right? Two more? Yeah, Candyman 2 it's not and a two Candyman more? 3. Yeah. 
Farewell to the flesh. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I will probably definitely watch those at some point because you know me and now I'm all about just like watch that whole fucking franchise, dude. Just do it. See what's in there. See, see what quality lies. I think I'm about to do Puppet Master. Oh, yeah. Because there's like a million of I've those. I've never seen any of those. Yeah, isn't there so, fucking like 15 of those? I wanted to do that or Hellraiser, and I'm probably going to regret it. Yeah, yeah. I know like halfway through doing the Jack Ryan movies, I was like so over that project. Yeah, and that one's only like five movies. It's only five, but like yeah. they're all just so samey. Yeah. You know, I, I actually liked all of them to a degree, but yeah. it was just like, it wasn't mean. like Halloween where there was some sort of study to be done. Yes. And so, yeah, I would actually really like to... Now that I'm trying to fill out, like, I've seen a ton of horror. That is my main thing growing up. Yeah. I'm filling all of my franchise holes. And so Candyman, it, it's going to happen. That, I mean, that's like basically what I've been doing, I feel like, too. Like, now I'm on the Universal Monster kick just to kind of, like, fill that gap, you know? Oh, hell yeah. Which is, I mean, an amazing gap to fill. It's like, that is so fun. It's, I, I love it. If you follow those yeah. where they get deeper and deeper, and I only know this because I went to that Exhumed event where they had like the uh, the eight-minute reels. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because back yeah. in the day before home video, you could just get an eight-minute abridged reel that you put on your home projector, yep. and that was that. And one of the things that was so funny was watching as the actors died out, other yeah. actors would step in. Like there's a point where Lon Chaney plays Frankenstein's monster. Oh my god, really? And he's like totally not fit for the part. Yeah, yeah. But he's the last guy left. He's yeah. got a name, so yeah. we throw like, so he's just like a more rotund and saggy faced <laughs> yeah. monster. And so like that kind of stuff happens. Like there's the the later Black Lagoon ones where he's wearing a suit and a hat because Whoa. he's like super humanoid now. Yeah. And they just slowly change and it's just it's funny to watch these original we see them as high class now. Yeah. And, and you know, to a degree, they were watching them slowly descend into what we know happens to all horror. Yeah. Where it franchises itself into ridiculousness. Yeah. yeah. Which is part of the fun of it. Yeah. yeah so it yeah. is kind of fun there. But yeah. yeah. Like they're sequelizing the new Halloween. I don't want that. And I can't fucking wait to see it. I know. Yep. <laughs> it's like, yep. I'm so in. Yep. I, I saw that and I was like, yep, we're just, we're, that's, we're, I'm in. we're back. New 80s. We're back. Let's go. We didn't go. need Creed 2. Yeah. But I'm going to be there for Ooh, every Creed. I got to see that. Oh, it's good, man. Yeah. I it's, see like, that. it's never going to touch Creed. No, I know. But it should have been the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so should have Rocky 5. Yeah, exactly. And 4. Yeah. And 3. And 2. And, two. and Balboa. I and, forgot that. Yeah, 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 all yeah, of them. They yeah. all should have been. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, when you see these universal monsters descend into franchise oblivion yeah. it's pretty incredible yeah 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 i bet uh yeah i just and then have... they're hanging out with abbott and costello yeah, the whole I, thing. I i just have the first movie in each series basically but then also bride of frankenstein so but anyway so I, i'm just excited to do that I, i'm loving just going through these franchises and... movie idea yeah i've always talked about harold and kumar meet jason yes why why not have them summon Candyman? oh my god that would be wild. They get stoned and yeah. they summon Candyman because they're being goofballs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be incredible. That uh, honestly, it's, it's a full minority cast. Too, I was so going to say even, it would also better. play into these sort of themes of Harold and Kumar, where it's like if you want to, you can have a pretty intellectual discussion about Harold and Kumar and their depictions of race and stuff like that. You know, that was actually a big concern for both John Cho and Cal Penn. Yeah, was they said we would like for our racial image to be considered in the movie yeah without it being what the movie's about yes and mission accomplished I, yeah yeah it oh man that's so funny yeah Candyman would be a fucking great person especially because he'd probably have a run-in with nph who would just get fucking slaughtered totally some also it would totally life. make sense they would just summon Candyman, like probably on accident probably trying to get some drugs mm -hmm. they would be calling for their candy man somehow in a bathroom mirror and and call the Candyman. I love it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I envisioned it that they would watch Candyman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they'd be like, "You want to play?" Yeah. And and uh, Harold would be like, "No, that's so stupid. I have work in the morning." <laughs> like, oh, come on, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Yeah, and yeah. then they do it. And yeah. you just had to summon Candyman, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'd watch the shit out of that. <laughs> that There's no fun. reason why uh, modern slashers shouldn't 
you know, meet the the feebles or whatever. The, <laughs> the Deedles, sorry. The meet the feebles the is Deedles. the Peter Jackson. Yeah. The De- you know, the, yeah. well, I can think of one reason why they can't meet the Deedles. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, like, I, I think that there's... Yes. There's something here, but I will never get it. I agree. I, agree. I would kill to see 21 Jump Street. Oh. Those two guys yeah. go against, like, Jason or something. They almost did that with Men in Black. They yeah. almost oh, had 21 Jump so Street and Men in Black, like, meet and become team, I guess. Although, I'm totally into this new Men in Black oh, me movie. too. It's yeah. Awesome. I, yep, yep. I just like watching the two of them. I'm in. Done. Give me that movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you want to talk women in horror? Mm-hmm. Let's do it. You do it. My mouth's full. All right. Sounds good. Uh, so we decided to just do our five favorite women in horror. You know, same thing with all these lists. Like, there are, are plenty of women in horror we could be talking about bringing up right now. These are just who we thought of today. Uh, I think, uh, from what Dan said to me earlier, I maybe have some sort of uh, broader names. You maybe have some more specific ones. Um, I sort of decided, and, you know, let me know if, this name is on your list, and so I shouldn't do this, but I think we should call this the Mary Lambert Memorial List. Oh, absolutely. Mary Lambert uh, uh, liked my tweet the other day. She's liked some of my tweets, too. She's so good. It makes she's me feel so awesome, good. Yeah. And But this one, I didn't even tag her. Ooh, it I love just, it. just I retweeted the name three women in horror, Yeah, and so she was at the top of the yeah, list, love and it. she liked that, and I just I just felt so good about yeah, myself. I know. <laughs> so I, I think so, since we just did both Pet Cemetery I have such a cinematic movies. crush on her because those movies ruled so they were hard. great. I just want her to make everything. I know. I want. I mean, I know she's doing a lot of TV right now, which is fucking dope for her. But I would love to see some more Mary Lambert oh, yeah. movies. Um, so anyway, she, why is she not directing Bad Boys Three? Exactly. Yeah, you know, exactly. you're not gonna get Michael Bay. She she needs a, a, an action movie, by the way. I mean, I would love to see more horror movies by her, but give her an action movie. She's I'll, I'll see anything if yeah. she's willing to make it. Whatever yeah, project totally. she wants to make, yes, I want to watch. I want to see it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I thought we could dedicate this list to her since we just did both of her Pet <laughs> Cemetery. It's movies. the Mary Lambert Memorial List, even though she's still she's perfectly still alive, alive yeah. and working hard. Yep. Uh, yeah. Ass. And we love it. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. You want me to start? Yeah, go for it. Um, I mean, I, I, this has got to be uh, very. This one is probably my most personal one. I put Coralie Fargit on my list, who is the director of last year's Revenge, oh, nice, which was also nice. a Shutter exclusive. Um, I just loved the shit out of that movie. I th- it's it's a a debut movie by somebody, and I think one of the most confidently directed debuts I've ever seen. Um, and I just wanted to kind of like put her name on this list because it's like a lot of my other names on this list are maybe some more quote-unquote classical names, and mm. I think she has already, you know, earned herself a spot, like, right next well, to the other people on my list. she proves why it's important to have just a broad list of storytellers. Yep. You know, like, I, I like it. I'm not... Everybody knows I'm, like, allergic to the at least the way that identity politics are often used. Yeah. But I think that that in terms of, like, how important it is to have broad perspectives in anything... Yep. That's where I really jive with it. Yeah. And something like Revenge, um, at a time where we're really starting to question... Just how women are treated in movies yep. and how rape can be used as a plot device. Yep. There's not much different about the way Revenge uses it, but by the very nature of it being her movie, it's like night and day. The and female lens on it is. The female lens really, really, really does yeah, so distinct much work. and important, yep. I think. And um, so, yeah, yeah, that's like. It's just that's like a landmark film in that sense. Uh, yeah, I, I, and just it fucking rocks. It man. totally rocks. Yeah. It was so much fun. So I, I wanted to shout her out because I just you know I, I've been really into uh, uh, her lately. Well, if we're talking about uh, debuts, it might be yes. the strongest debut I have ever seen. And I'm gonna fuck up her name, but the director Julia Ducournau, uh, whose debut film Raw is an absolute masterpiece. It is a high watermark of coming-of-age horror, of cannibal horror, of 
it's just it's everything I love about a movie. It's beautifully ambiguous. It has one of those endings that is two seconds of film that recontextualizes the preceding 90 minutes in huge ways. It's just absolutely brilliant. And it doubles as a coming-of-age story for a young woman seeking her identity in her first foray out from under the thumb of her family unit. It's it's awesome. I, that's and it's a, gross as fuck. Oh, yeah. That is, like, yet another movie that I think I probably underserved in my initial review of it. Because mm. that movie has, like, sat with me in, in so big ways. Watch it again, knowing just, like, what it is that they're afflicted with. And yeah. what it is that they need to do in order to maintain appearances. It's like... Yeah. Yeah. Even the beginning when they show, uh, you know, the car running someone down. Yeah. We don't see who that is or why that is, but then by the end of the movie, we realize who it is and why exactly it is. Exactly what's happening. It's yeah. magical. That's interesting. But Raw is like this incredible movie that, directed by anybody, it would have been good, but directed by Julia Ducournau, I really don't know how to say it. I think it, you're it's, close. I mean, I'm just I doing it phonetically, so. yeah. but directed by her, it's just... And, and of course, I don't know the lead actress's name, but I mean, I think that she also deserves a... Uh, Oh yeah, mention she's on this list phenomenal. She in that. is just just as important to it. She's so uh, good in that. Garance Marillier. Okay, uh, it's French. French. So Garance yep. Marillier. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, so definitely check out Raw if you haven't. I think it's on Netflix. It's yeah. definitely on Shutter. It's, it's streaming somewhere right now. Yeah, for sure. it's streaming a couple places. But yeah. like, I don't know. That's like Woman in Horror. It's really good. That's probably my number one. But I just wanted to piggyback off of. Uh, oh yeah, debuts. I love it. Yeah, I love that. Uh well I'm gonna give it up for just like I mean this is literally one of my favorite ladies in horror I have been catching up with more and more of her movies lately she's currently contributing to Fangoria which I think is like amazing that they got her and I love that she's doing it I left Barbara Crampton off my list because I, I knew she would be on I yours thought you might and I knew we were gonna talk about her. list I love Barbara Crampton so so much I love her work uh in Adam Wingard's You Are Next I'm a big Wingard head and I, I that was like kind of my we I should call like, ourselves wing nuts. Wing nuts. I'm a real wing nut. <laughs> <Done>. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I, it, when I saw her in that, it was like a reminder that it's like, oh, Barbara Crampton. Like, I love Barbara Crampton. You know what I mean? And then, like, she starts showing up in all this other stuff. Like, um, uh, w- w- what's that movie called where yeah, she's fired to Sensenig? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, you are still. You were never really here. Yeah, I know. Here. We are still here. We are still here. We are still That's here. What it's called. Yeah. yeah. Ted Gagan? Guggen? Gagan? I, I don't Gagan. know how to pronounce it. Yeah. It's like Giogan. Yeah. But uh, uh, awesome filmmaker. She, yes. And she is like so good in that she I just love that she's become like full-on horror fangirl she really i mean i know she i don't think she likes the term scream queen no, if no, i no. remember right but she is like she is a fucking queen among queens like she, she would is certainly just... fill the requirements to be called that yeah and then some i just like actually think she's the queen of horror do you yeah, know what she's i mean so like, good. that's like yeah well she's embraced it and yep. like that's that's uh there's that movie beyond the gates which i'm not even like that crazy about but she's so good in there's reanimator it, yeah i mean <laughs> reanimator's like become just like is one of my favorite movies oh, yeah. and she's so fucking good i in like that, that movie. jill like uh, oh yeah, was into it. She you was know, into it. Yeah, she she wasn't it. blown away, but she was no, definitely yeah, into she it. She liked it, which is cool. Uh, yeah, you can on cinema seventy six dot com. I made uh, Jill, one of the editors, watch Reanimator for the first time, and she wrote a really good article about it. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I wanted to shout out Barbara Crampton because I'm Got really it. enjoying her writing in Fangoria. I I love her presence on Twitter. I just I. I caught up with castle freak recently which she's awesome in like i just the more i catch up with her stuff it's like this she rules like she's so good 
And I can see why she wouldn't want to be called Scream Queen. Of course it not. is like a limiting yep. term. Yep. And uh, so when I use it to describe her, I, I do it out of love, but like she is infinitely more than that. Yes, absolutely. Infinitely more yeah. than that. So, you know, it's, it's yeah, I wouldn't want to be limited by that either. I, I agree. She's a damn good actress yep. and seems to be a really awesome person. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but she also just like has embraced this, this niche that she's popular in. Yeah. But, um, you know, she stepped out of it, certainly. Absolutely. And, she, yeah, she just rocks. I love yeah, She is totally awesome. Yeah. So I wanted to put her on the list. All right. I am going to go with uh, an actress slash filmmaker, Angela Bettis. Hmm. Uh, Angela Bettis was the star of Lucky McKee's yeah. May. And then she directed a movie called Roman starring oh. Lucky McKee. They oh, switched I didn't back know that. and forth. Yeah, yeah. And both are really good. Uh, May is actually, very good. I've seen May. May is awesome. Yeah. Roman is is similar. It's like an A side B side thing. You okay. know, it's sort of like uh, you know, regulators and a and whatever the other one is. <laughs> um what is the other one? The Outlaws. Regula- no, no, no. Uh, the Stephen King book. There's the Regulators. That was Bachman. Oh, dude, you know what I thought you were referencing, and I couldn't figure out the oh, connection. Oh, uh, yeah, Den of Thieves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's not that. You know, Stephen King wrote two books that are like, uh, <sighs> they're like connected to one another with character names, Don't. but not all that. I mean, didn't he write like a hundred books that are connected to each other with like character yeah, names? Yeah, yeah. And all yeah. That? No, there's 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 two a specific one. Yeah. That one is the Regulators by yeah. Richard Bachman, and the other one is the Deregulators. Oh, I'm never gonna remember it. I'll think of it eventually. But whatever. That's yeah. not important. Okay. What is important? is that that's the what underwear they did with Roman and May. And Angela Bettis was in the Toolbox Murders, Toby Hooper's remake of the classic movie. That's right. She's just like, she's another one who, you know, you could use the Scream Queen thing for, but she's sure. just this incredible artist yeah. that has found a niche in horror. And, I, and she's just a phenomenal actress. Yeah. With Roman, she proved that she's a really good filmmaker. I had no idea. I'm going like, to have to see Roman. She also rolls through in uh girl interrupted oh yeah you know, she's in the carrie remake she's oh, you know, she's in a whole bunch of stuff but she's also in in song to song and a terrence malick she pops up all over the watch. place she's all over the place yeah uh, oh yeah she's in the woman another lucky mckee film which you absolutely should watch yeah. the woman will fuck up your head oh boy but it's really good okay um yeah so uh Angela Bettis. I definitely like her. Love it. Uh, well, this should come as no surprise because uh, I know I made a whole big deal about Barbara Crampton there, but th- this lady might literally be the queen. Desperation is the name of that other book. Ah, Regulators, Regulators Desperation. Desperation. Yes. Okay. I've heard of neither of those books, actually. Oh, yeah. Good, man. Uh, I would like to read more uh, King. That's like a thing I've been thinking about lately. He's the best writer who ever lived. <laughs> yeah. He's my favorite, yeah. hands down. I love him. Everything he's ever, even his worst books, I still am engrossed by. Yeah. He's the best. Okay, so this lady's probably like actually the queen. Jamie Lee Curtis is on oh, the of list. Of course, I, I left her off because I had to I put her on list. without saying. Yeah. I had to put her on the list. I know. I I I, I kind of knew some of these names are like this goes without saying. She's like, but I think she'd be the one who embraces Scream Queen, but only in the with the caveat that she wants to redefine it herself. Right. Yeah. You know? I just think that like she has, she's been such an interesting presence in horror. I think because she's so hugely important to it. And she clearly recognizes her uh, importance. And to, she loves it. She does. Yeah. But I. But she's also one of the most, I, I think, like powerfully vocal women, like in the industry. On top of that, oh, right? without a doubt. So she's like just as critical of the thing that made her famous as she is totally in love with it. I think and I really like, respect that. I think she has a, a a rule in her contract that like she is in charge of what kind of makeup she wears and all right. that. Yeah. And it's in terms of like, she did ads for a while. Yeah. And she said, if you're going to use me in this ad, you're not going to make me prettier. Right. I'm going au naturel because that's what real people look like. Right. And I'm a real person. And like, that's really cool. I, I Yeah. I just, something about like her ethos as an actress is like very appealing to me. And I think it's like, 
um, it's the kind of thing where, I, I don't know, she just like doesn't take shit from anybody. Mm. And uh, I, I think she's become a very sort of significant like leading force among women in Hollywood. You know what I mean? And I, and I just like, that's... I don't She's know. Worth I really respect her for that. In that regard. Yeah, yeah. If you listen to, I think it's the score for the Fog. Yeah. Um, I think it's the Fog on Spotify. There's a special edition. Okay. That has tons of interviews with her. Whoa, cool. And a lot of it is her talking about the choices that she had to make in order to avoid being pigeonholed into horror after yeah. doing Halloween and Terror Train and the Fog. Right. And all yeah, that, yeah. Which she loved doing and and found value in, but also. You know, thinking about it as a career-minded individual. Yeah, it's it's really cool, and she's yeah. all, but she's also like real funny. Yeah, I, I know the, she's the so set funny. visit in the uh, first issue first of Fangoria. Fangoria yeah. She's like so much fun. Yeah, she's oh, just the one who's she's, so excited. She's like, can I show you something? Was this? She's got that whole quote where she's like, "Oh yeah, you got the good tushy shot. Good, good, yeah. good." You know, like yeah. she's like, "Yeah, it, it's." I her. bought my dad the new Halloween for his birthday yeah. a couple weeks back. We got together and watched it, and so we watched all of the special features. And that was the highlight of every special feature: is that in every interview situation or yeah. anything like that, she was always the most enthusiastic yeah. and always like the most interested in in breaking it open. But everything she said would always come with like, "So I thought this," and not the genius of John over here. Yeah. Oh, and David, what you did, but like she yeah, was just yeah. completely enamored with the the fact that this process is based around just her star power. It's yeah. The, yeah. She's yeah. The best. She, I, I just love her. So and she's yeah. married to Christopher guest. I know. So like, she's just making good decisions all, all around. around. Yep. <laughs> all, around. all around. She's in literally one of my favorite movies of all time. No, not Halloween. True, True lies. lies. I know it's fucking I owns. And she's so good. She's at amazing it. in that movie. All right. Um, what do we got? All right, this next one I put in just because I I have like such a crush on this actress, uh-huh. but I think that she's phenomenal. Yeah, uh, Alex Esso. Who is that? Um, she is the star of Starry Eyes. Oh, I haven't she seen that. She was in a movie yet. that I saw last year that was pretty. It's actually written by one of uh, Obama's former speechwriters called Whoa. Midnighters. Oh, uh, and it's just like a thriller. It's like a. But she has been at the heart of all of these like low budget thrillers. Yeah, she's basically doing what Jamie Lee Curtis did back in the day. Yeah, yeah. She hasn't found her trading places yet. Sure, but yeah. she's definitely. Uh, yeah, she's just a—I I don't know. She's just this really, really compelling and awesome actress. Yeah, there was an actress that I loved in Vox Lux because I thought it was her, and I was oh, like, finally, yeah, yeah. she's getting. And then I was so pissed when it wasn't yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. I was like, she could have done this. She looks just like this lady. Yeah. But Alex Esso, I, I really wish I had more to say about her, but I just—I I don't think I've seen a movie with her in it that she didn't immediately draw the eye, and not just because I think she's attractive, but yeah, because yeah. she's like. Really, really tremendously good actress. That's cool. Uh, Starry Eyes is is unreal. I really want to see it. it You know what you just made me think of, and I wish I had put her on my list, but I didn't, so I'll just give her a shout-out now, is Jessica Roth, who stars in Happy Death Day. Oh, yeah. She's amazing in that If I made this list... Uh, after yesterday, yeah, um, she would have been on it because I rewatched it. She's Day. amazing in that movie. That movie, I think, works because she's so good in it. Um, I, I, I just love watching that character like grow. Um, so anyway, well, and here's the thing: like, there's I'm looking at Alex Esso's. Uh, uh, filmography yeah. and there's not much yeah it's but it's all stuff like tales of halloween mm-hmm. don't wake mommy mm-hmm. fashionista yep. the neighbor so it's yep. like real low budget shit yeah um i wish there's something that i could have you recognize her from oh it's okay but uh, um, yeah she's just a really really i like really want to see starry eye so I'll, I'll, it's I'll just make sure i dig into that soon it's really and it, it actually uh it stars uh what's his name kid blue from uh Looper. oh i love him He's noah sagan noah sagan yeah yeah and uh, I don't know, she's just really, really good. And that's a movie that I think asked a lot of its lead performer because yeah. she undergoes this physical and mental transformation and she carries it and turns into this like 
real horrifying person, but completely with our empathy. And yeah. credit to her. And the fact that she's just putting out B horror movie after B horror <laughs> movie, like that's carrying the torch to me. Like yeah, she's yeah. pulling a Linnea Quigley. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, so, yeah. who didn't make my list, but uh, we should have. Good shout out. Yeah. Love so it. let's concord. But Alex Esso, awesome. Love it. Uh, okay. So, I mean, I know I said this about Barbara. I know I said this about Jamie Lee. Deborah Hill might be the name that needs to be like. I didn't even think about that. She's the number one on all of the lists. Deborah Hill yeah, is the number the one on every list you could possibly make. Deborah Hill produced a lot of John Carpenter's early movies. So Halloween co wrote a lot of them. Yep. The Fog. It's like she. And, you know, you. I think Carpenter's one of those guys that maybe much like Tarantino, you could look at and go, when he was working with X, his movies had a certain quality about them. Yep. And when he started working with Y, that quality was it distinctly missing or changed. Yep. Uh, and I, I think Deborah Hill is that, like, X factor in 100%. a lot of um, uh, Carpenter's and early movies. And she goes movies. beyond Carpenter. She's, she does. She's one of those, like, Dan O'Bannon, yep. where it's just like, if you like it, she touched it. Yes. It, she's yeah. just part of it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. you can go through her I whole filmography. I think of her, and, like, and she's the right answer. She's the answer yeah. to this question, I think. Like, she is amazing. I don't even have to do the rest of my list. Like, she's, like, <laughs> literally the answer. I, I know. I know. Yeah. I've got one more name on my list that I would like to to bring up. So please deliver us some more women. Right, um, I'll do my, my number two. I mean, these are all out of order. Yeah, like oh, yeah, my, yeah, my yeah. number one was raw. No, I've been tossing them out. A performance nobody ever talks about. Yeah. And it's such a good, deep, nuanced performance. But Naomi Harris as Selena in 28 Days Later. Yep. I think she's phenomenal in that movie. Yeah. She is. Yeah, it's so funny. You know, I, I don't really. You never even hear. Yeah. I had to look up her name. Yeah. I, I, and you never think about it. But like, she really weighs that movie for a couple reasons. Yeah. One, she's the first time that we actually get to understand the depth of what's going on in terms of how quickly you get infected. Yeah. Because it's during the hallway fight in the, uh, the apartment building yeah, yeah, yeah. that her partner that she has been doing stuff with gets like nicked by, by a zombie. Right. And she immediately makes the decision. He's like, no, 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 please. Don't, and blows him away. Yep. Uh, I think she does it with a machete. Actually. I, f- I forget. I, I can't remember, but I know but what you mean. Way, yeah, like she, she is very quickly. She decisive. The, like, I, I don't have time yeah. to to deal with the emotion of this because I have to stay alive. Yeah. And that's like super cool. And she owns that. And then later in the movie, when they're uh, captured by the soldiers and, and her and the, the young woman are the only two women in the whole thing. And basically it's at the point where like they're about to run a train on us. Yeah. And she's the one that's just like, listen, all I have is like these Percocets. Let's just take them. Yeah. And, you know, she's like, oh, is this going to make it not hurt? She's like, no, it's just going to make you not care. Yeah. And like that is really, really heartbreaking stuff that she delivers. Oh, chef's kiss. Yeah. Just totally nails it. And I don't know, like for in that movie, the the one person who we really follow, Killian Murphy, yep. is kind of grasping at straws. He's mm-hmm. panicking the mm-hmm. entire time and gets lucky. Um but does have to make tough decisions, but he only makes these tough decisions because he's informed by the example set by her, someone who was actually awake for all 28 days late, uh, yeah. 28 days. Yeah. Yeah. He's later. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah. And I don't know. I just, she like really shines in that movie and that's a great, you never pick. get notice of that. That's a great pick. Naomi Harris. Uh, 28 days later. I love that. So I have one more name on my list, uh, and it is Ashley Blackwell, uh, oh, who right is on. a producer and writer on uh, horror noir. Um, she's a purveyor of Graveyard Shift Sisters online. Um, on her website right now, she's doing 28 Days of Black Women in Horror. Nice. So every day she picks a different black woman that has starred in or produced. I bet she lands written. on Naomi Harris at one point. Uh, oh, she she just did the uh, the woman from Candyman recently. Uh, right you know, so like there, she's got a lot of um, uh, really good content on that site. Like I, I 
I have only recently become familiar with her and her site, um, but it's it's really fucking good and uh, like extremely informative and like well written. She's a great writer, and I just think with this documentary, like she is making a huge and significant impact on horror. Um, and uh, like I, this documentary is like this is going to be like essential horror fan. Oh, without a doubt. You know it's already mean? being like, regarded as that. Yeah, I'm pissed that I wasn't able to squeeze it in before this episode just because yeah. it's. I need to see it. It, it, it. it upsets me that I could watch it right now and I haven't yet. And you yeah. haven't watched it yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. killing me. So I just I I figured this was the perfect opportunity. It is Black History Month. It is Women in History Month to just like celebrate Women in Horror Month. Eight, sorry, <laughs> Women in Horror Month. What did I say? Women in women History. In history. Yeah. But I mean, also an underserved yes, narrative. Yes, so yeah. you know, why not? Women in Horror Month. I, I just and she's local to Philly. Like I, I thought it was just a good opportunity to like plug her website and, and kind of like it is a good website. Hopefully, I actually read that frequently there. without knowing it was associated to horror noir for a while yeah yeah now i yeah. know because you know it's all over the site but yeah. <laughs> yes yeah uh so I, I wanted to make sure we gave her a shout out because i think she's right like on. she has just immediately given herself a big position uh, oh she's cred now yeah. yeah oh yeah. that is so i can't wait to see that shit it's so good all right this actually has probably come up on lists before but uh i this is a movie i saw at exhumed uh many years ago yeah you know how whenever you see an exhumed marathon uh, littered amongst all of the crazy wild movies, there's one crazy wild movie that's like, oh, that was actually legit good. Yes. The Mafu Cage Ooh. is legit good. Okay. And, and it's not even a movie that's well-loved. Yeah. But it is uh, directed by Karen Arthur. Okay. Um, Karen Arthur did, like, episodes of Get Smart and oh. Remington Steel oh, and Cagney and Lacey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, she's just like, she's basically got a, a Mary Lambert filmography sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. But, um... Is that actually what it's really called? Oh, no, never mind. But she's also done, like, you know, uh, Caged Seduction, Women in Prison. Okay, yeah, yeah, Stuff yeah, yeah. like that. Just uh, some exploitation movies and stuff. A lot of exploitation yeah. stuff. Shadow of a Doubt, Bump in the Night, yep. uh, Fall from Grace, you know, just all the stuff <laughs> yes. that you never heard of. But Lifetime the, title, Lifetime title, Lifetime yeah, exactly. title. Yeah, She did episodes of Heart to Heart. Uh, you know, but, yeah, uh, the Mafu Cage, a.k.a. Don't Ring the Doorbell. Ooh. But uh, it, it's just a really crazy... Uh, you know, okay, I'll just read the... Ellen has been taking care of her insane younger sister, Sissy, ever since their explorer father died. When Sissy's pet ape dies in their mansion's dungeon and Ellen finds a boyfriend, Sissy's incestuous desire for her sister turns deadly. People but can't it, see my eyes right now, yeah. but I'm trying to track all 37 of those plot points. As and they... Honestly, that's not even that accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, there's, a, there's an... There's like a man in an ape costume that is not supposed to be a man. It's like an ape. It's an ape. You know? Yeah, of There's course. A, it's a really fucked up. It stars uh, what's her name? Carol Kane. Oh, okay. Yeah, and yeah. So she plays the. You know, she's one of Stranger Calls. Yep, and, yep, yep. Uh, Taxi and all that. Uh, yeah, she plays like this really creepy. You know, goth girl. I guess you'd call her. Yeah. She's not really goth, but it's got like a Cindy Lauper thing going okay. on. Okay. Um, and it's just a crazy weird family drama horror movie with a monkey and with incest and just with hyper violence and all Whoa. that and it's directed by karen arthur and like it does not have that soft hand that we all <laughs> yeah. say like oh it needs a women's touch yeah. but it does have a woman's touch and it is needed yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah. It, that movie fucking owns Whoa. and you might not even like it i just it was i would love in to see it it sounds crazy just, like you know crazy exploitation Dude, I know what you mean. to have you... this like slow paced deliberate real movie was yeah. was really and it, but it also is total exploitation yeah, yeah yeah and so yeah karen arthur is the director and 
She fucking killed it. Yeah. You get the exhumed madness, man. When you're on like movie five and six, and then you get to seven, like you just get that exhumed madness. Oh yeah, like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. Well, and the thing is, like five times out of ten, you go, "Oh, I've heard of this. Cool." Like, it's, I've never heard of the Mafu <laughs> yeah. Cage, and I've never heard it even mentioned since then, yeah. except by me. And so it's just, just like it's, it's like an artifact. I, don't yeah, know, I yeah. love it, but it is a woman's movie. That's cool. I love it. Uh, so I think that concludes our celebration of women in horror. Uh, unless you have any final or further thoughts, uh, I mean, there was like a lot of people I thought about. Nev Campbell, yeah, Nev Campbell. She was like the modern scream queen yep. for Scream. <laughs> um, went on to be in Skyscraper with yep. the Rock. I mean, I thought about putting like Catherine Bigelow on this list. She made yeah, her for dark, dark, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's there were I had I was trying to avoid. The main. I was trying to come up with names that were yeah. not necessarily as as mainstream, just to do yeah, it. Yeah, you did a great job. Like thank that, you, thank yeah. you. Uh, you and and I, I kind of, I, I felt I'm. I always know you to be the one that wants to go, and so I was like, great. Then I can just fucking put Barbara oh, yeah, yeah. and Jamie Lee. And, but those know. are all so valid. They're, I mean, they're because yes, these yeah. are, those are the those are the yeah. sh- the giant shoulders that all else. Stand yeah, exactly. Upon. Yep, and yep. you know, you need them to blaze that trail. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Deborah Hill is the correct answer. Yeah, uh, yeah she's, she's absolutely. Uh, you know who almost made my list? Who? Uh, Reba McIntyre and Tremors. Oh my god, she's so fucking hard that. in that movie. Yeah, she's so she's good, so bad. I forgot she's in it. That's great. And yeah, she's like she's fucking Tremors up. Her and Burt <laughs> Gummer, who played her husband, That's are right. uh, fucking up yeah. Tremors left and right with a smile on their faces. Do you know she it's ever so comes good. back to the franchise? Because I know he does over and over. And oh, over he's again. like the the connective yeah, yeah, tissue. Yeah. He's even on the show. I don't think she does. Man, and I've seen. One, two, three, and four. I, I don't think she does, and if she does, I think she may be recast. Okay, man, I would love to see her come. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. You know, there's always late sequels coming out, and you're always see. It's like great that actor came back. Oh yeah, Reba if comes Reba back. Reba came back to that. I'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's all go see that movie right I think now. They should have one where right before the credits, Burt Gummer finally bites off more than he can chew uh-huh. and gets eaten by a tremor, and then the whole movie is her hunting down the tremor to cut his corpse out and bury him. Oh whoa! But of course, at the end, we find out that oh no no. He's not dead. Yeah. Because he was prepared. He brought supplies. He's like eating cliff bars yeah, inside yeah. the thing. He just doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what I want. Into it. Yeah. I like that. I like Tremors. That. What do we have to do? What would that be? Six? I d I don't even know at this point. There was, there was that the like fifth frozen one. With Jamie one they Kennedy. Did? Yeah. Is that the Jamie Kennedy one? There was a like fifth cold? one that went direct to Netflix. Yeah. And I know it had Jamie Kennedy. It might be that. I don't oh, know. I don't know. And then there were, if there was another one, maybe they I, they, I they did a pilot for like a TV series recently that Kevin Bacon was in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that 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 they didn't I buy, which is, I would, dude, I would have watched the shit out of that. Although at the same time, like it's another one. Like I thought, Ash versus Evil Dead was cool, but yeah. like I totally gave up on that real quick I did because too. I just did, I I had enough. It was I like, what are you gonna do with it? I know. And you know, no love lost to it. I'm glad no, I, it exists. I actually loved it when I was watching it. But same thing, I was like, yep, Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll like, just watch. I, Evil I love Dead. this stuff. Like and you know, Tremors would be the same way. Yeah. And, like with Tremor, like with Evil Dead, it's like, oh yeah, all of the Evil Dead movies are good. Yeah. Yep. Um, but uh. Tremors, it's like, oh, well, one of them's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. like, I, I don't really want to... Exactly. I like the other ones well enough. Yeah. Actually, the fourth one, the prequel in the Old West, yeah, yeah. is pretty legit. Oh, that's cool. But, you know... I remember seeing the second one on TV, maybe. Second one's the one where the, the little ones get right? legs and they yeah. become little piggy guys. Yeah. Third one, they sprout wings and fly. Yeah. Fourth one is, like, back to old the roots. West. Yeah. But it's the Old West. Yeah. Yeah. I think I saw the little grabby feet ones. Yeah. I think I saw Graboids. Those. Yeah. Graboid second uh, generation. Well, let's wrap this thing up, my friend. Yeah, so happy Perfect. Black History Month. Yep. Uh, from these two white boys white to you. Dudes, yep. uh, happy Women in Horror Month. Yes. And um, yeah, and just come back next time is a mysterious skin. 
I think and, and I mean I think, so. I think we're going to do I, that. I, I mean either way that's coming up so yes. watch it and yeah. join us. Yeah, please. Uh we would love that. And uh yeah, you can find us we're both on cinema76.com. You can find the 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 podcast there. You can find us on uh, uh facebookcom like 2 movie numeric 2 uh Twitter at I like 2 movie. We're on Tumblr, we're all over the place. Uh, you can find me on letterbox.com/filmadelphia. That's with an F. I'm on Twitter at filmadelphia and uh, I also write for farsightedblog.com. Boom. Uh yes, all of that and more. Um, I'm at Dan Scully on everything. Letterbox, Twitter. Uh, check out Cinema76.com, of course. Findy.com. That's the PH. And um, I'm just going to throw this out there. I want to just beg everybody. Yeah. Um, it's never going to happen, but like, I really, really, really loved Alita Battle Angel. Oh, I want to see and that so bad, And it's going to bomb, and people are going to not see it, and it's going to get terrible reviews, yeah. and it's sequel baits in the best way, yeah. and I want that sequel. So go spend your fucking money oh. and go see it. It's totally worth it. Would, does that come out this weekend? Next weekend. Next week. Okay, yeah. I'm pretty sure Tori and I are going to see it. And I, I think really that if you do... IMAX is certainly worth it. Yeah, and I, I think the 3D is actually worth it too. I, that's what it was I heard. designed for yeah. that. Uh, the colored, uh, the color timing lines up so that the glasses aren't too bad. Yeah, I, I just loved it. It's so fun. The world is so dense. Yeah, um, the, the hero, she's so good. It just, it, I, I don't want to. It would be too high praise to say that it reminded me of Star Wars. But yeah, it's similar in Star Wars. That yeah, as soon as you're in it, you get the sense that there is a much bigger world happening around it. It's not a world. Excuse me. It's not a world designed for the plot, even though it is. Yeah, it yeah, feels yeah. bigger. It feels like there's more going on. And for the love of God, the action is visible. Oh, I love even it. Even in love IMAX it. 3D. So whether you like it or not, I think you'll be happy you saw it. But yeah. just spend your money on it so I can get the sequel, please. Thank yes. you. Me and Tori really want to see that. We also want to see what we keep referring to as the Plowman movie. Oh, cold, cold pursuit. Yeah, yeah. We Dude, really want to see the Plowman movie. You know about his name, right? Uh, oh, yes, I do. That is the funniest <laughs> fucking thing. Yeah. But I hear that it is a comedy. Yeah, that's what I've that heard it too. is like a yeah. little bit. Of, so yeah. I, I hopefully will, I'll be able to see that soon. I'm but yeah, so excited for the plot. I can't wait to see yeah. uh, Old Pursuit. So I'm going to call it Old Pursuit. Yeah, very good. All right. Uh, my name is Gareth Smith, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. And we all know that you like to movie movie because we, we like, like to movie. movie. Bone Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk.